When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Dan, and this is our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Something a little bit different for you today. What you're going to hear are clips from our draft show on Thursday night during the first round. So you're going to hear us discuss things pre-Pick 26, as Pick 26 is happening, and post-Pick 26. So it's kind of capturing that live feeling of the first round of the draft. We wanted to, to kind of try that, make it into a podcast, and I hope you give it a listen and enjoy. So Doug Maurice is on it, Mary Kay Cabot's on it, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, Terry Pluto, Tim Bielek jumps on. Uh, all kinds of talk about the draft as it was happening. Check it out here on the podcast. And of course, here our full reaction to the pick of Greg Newsom. Okay, here we go. Our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We start at about 9.24 p.m with Mary Kay Cabot, Doug, and I talking all about the Browns and what they might do. Let, let's pivot back to the Browns a little bit here. Uh, with J.C. Horn off the board, I would imagine Dallas is going to take a corner here coming up. Mary Kay, at what point do we reach a, a spot where we have to realistically think about the Browns possibly just trading out of the first round? Well, it, it is definitely a possibility. It's definitely a possibility, but I think they have some good choices. I think they're going to find what they want at 26. Uh, I think from, from all the things that we have discussed, I think we've kind of been on who we think are some of the strong possibilities there. And I think for the most part, uh, that has remained the same. There are two people that I'm very, very intrigued by. Uh, one of them, them is... J-O-K, the Notre, the Notre Dame linebacker. Very intrigued by him. I think he is a strong possibility there uh, because some of the other guys that I think that are on the list are go- going to be gone. I talked to somebody today that told me that he thought Zayvon Collins, who is also on their radar, would be gone by number 16. So that, that seems to be where, uh, where he's going to bottom out. Um, I, I still think Caleb Farley is definitely on the list. I think Greg Newsom is somebody that we should watch for. Now, of course, both of those guys could possibly be gone. And as we mentioned, that brings you into the next tier of quarterbacks. I'm a little surprised that Patrick wasn't the first cornerback off the board. Um, so, you know, these are some of the things we've been talking about. I do think that there are, uh, I think a number of the pass rushers are still in play. Uh, the, you know, we've talked about this a lot. They all have their, their issues. They have their issues, but Nevertheless, there are a a number of guys that we know they've spent considerable time on. And I think some of those guys could possibly be available. So start like start watching the pass rushers and see what's what's going on here. I mean, we you know, we've talked about, you know, the Aziz's and the Quiddy Pays and the Greg Rousseau's and, and, you know, and some of those guys. So I think these are uh, people to keep an eye on. Um, So, yeah. from a receiver standpoint, I still think that's in play. I think I think we got to keep an eye on the receivers. 
do not rule out a, a receiver to the Browns at number 26. Um, you know, we, we've talked about a number of them. Uh, I, I think, and, and the one that, that Tim Bielek, didn't Tim pick Elijah Moore for them today in his mock? I mean, that's just such an intriguing possibility. I'm, we're hearing the, the Broncos pick. Dan, I do think that when we did our mock, we had the corners go at 10, 12, 14, 16, and we were kind of like, hey, man, the corners started going quick. The first corner coming off the board at eight well, is not uh, another, maybe great news, right? Another one, just, another one just came off the board with Patrick Sertain going to the Broncos. So this, this is starting to play out. If the Browns wanted a corner, this is starting to, to not go in their favor unless they want to get aggressive and maybe try and move up to get somebody. And when we talk about that number 26 pick and, and these, these edge rushers that maybe have some issues, some corners that are maybe more second round guys. That's why I start to wonder if there's mm-hmm. somebody, and I don't yeah. know, I don't know if any of these teams in the top eight to 10 of the second round would trade with you. I don't know, but I do start to wonder if the Browns are looking at that and saying, you know what, let's get somebody in the second round. You know, we've talked about how valuable that fifth round option or that fifth year option is. But I also think there's a downside to it because it's guaranteed now. You start taking a guy at 26 who's maybe a second-round talent. I don't know. Do you want to make that decision? Or or do you want to maybe not commit yourself to that fifth-year option that you have to decide on after year three? You don't get to wait till year four. So I I wonder if – I want to see how teams kind of approach that. So I I think this gets very interesting as more corners come off the board and you start to get into an area where – an edge rusher at 26 versus an edge rusher at like 40, how much difference is there? Well, you know, I, I really, I agree. There is a chance they could, they could trade out if they think they can get one of their guys later. But you know, if we do start to see a little bit of a run on cornerbacks, that's going to hurt them. I think that's going to hurt them uh, because I, I really do think that they would love to come out of here with the cornerback and the way this is going, um, I think somebody is going to take a chance on Caleb Farley before they get a chance to get to him. Cornerbacks are too valuable. He's too good. Uh, It's going to be hard for him to last that long. Uh, You might get down into more of the Asante Samuel range at number 26. I still think they would do that there. Uh, Don't know what you guys think about that choice, but I think it's, I think it's something to try to keep an eye on as we go along here. I I, I mean, there was, I don't think there ever could have been a plan by them to think that, Greg Newsom or Caleb Farley would get to 26. I do think that's where you enter the realm of, do you give up one of your thirds to move up four or five spots to, to as far, you know, to where you think you need to go to get them. So again, I, I, I don't think we ever thought Newsom and Farley were going to get to the Browns, but given that there's two corners in the top nine, it lessens the chances of Farley and Newsom getting to the Browns. Like if you're hoping that, but as soon as one position goes, listen, right. No linebackers yet. So if Michael Parsons falls a little bit, maybe that pushes JOK down. Maybe that pushes Zayvon Collins down. Maybe one of those guys is there that you didn't expect. Devontae Smith, that in our mock, Ellis Williams took it six. six, He's on the board. The further Devontae Smith goes down, he pushes pushes Elijah Moore and Rashad Bateman down, right? And now maybe all of a sudden they come more into play for the Browns at 26. So I, I do think... Listen, there's a couple spots where I think, you know, we know there's, there's positional value and we just don't think maybe they'll take a defensive tackle or that we, there's some spots we don't think they'll take there. Somebody, I think they'll have somebody they like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it would have to be like a, 
when I did my imaginary little thing, it was like, I think there's a realm of like 10 guys they could consider. And there should be three or four in the mix for them unless like everything goes against them. And it's like, oh man, like everybody you liked got taken. So I still think I still might be a little bit more inclined to a trade up than a trade down that if they see guys are, there's one guy we love, we got to go to 21. I still think that might be what that extra third rounder can do for you. Well, Dallas might end up trading out a number 10 here, which um, kind of tells you like this was a team. Yeah. The Eagles are going to trade up with the Cowboys, which tells you, I mean, the Cowboys were linked to Sertan and that makes you think like, okay, these teams that maybe had corners in mind, they're starting to try and look for value now with, with these picks because this draft is so, it's just so wonky the, the later you get. And, and I, that's probably what the Cowboys are thinking here as they trade down with the Eagles at, at number 10. Go ahead, Mary Kay. Just real quick, because I'm going to have to jump off here and, uh, you know, try to start anticipating the, you know, the Browns pick. But um, I, I do agree with you, Doug, that, that there's probably a good chance that Newsom and Farley could be gone. However, keep in mind the injury factor makes Caleb possible where he probably wouldn't have been. So I think that's, even though he probably won't end up there, who knows, there might be enough teams that are just scared off enough by those back surgeries that, that there is a slight chance that he could be there. And I'm going to jump off and I will talk to you guys later. All right. Good luck, Mary Kay. All right. Thanks. Now we're going to fast forward to about 9.45, and Terry Pluto is going to join Doug and I. We're going to talk a little bit about Justin Fields, get Terry's thoughts on the Browns, and Terry makes his prediction for who he thinks the Browns will pick at number 26. We might come back to Justin Fields a little bit down the line, but let's go back to what's happening with the Browns. Terry Pluto has joined us. Terry, as we are watching this draft unfold, um, how does this compare to how you have felt watching other Cleveland Browns drafts unfold over your years covering this franchise. I would imagine it's a little bit more relaxing, is it not? It really is. I mean, I have looked at, well, first of all, we're always obsessed with quarterbacks. I mean, it's fun, fun to listen to. The Bears are desperate. The Jets are desperate. Everybody else is desperate. Um, and we're sitting here going, okay. I mean, as I wrote the other day, and I, I think you feel the same way, uh, if not, you know, correct me, but at the very least, you got a pretty good quarterback who could get you the playoffs in Baker. Well, that's your floor. Um, that's a great place to be. So that that's been it. And I just the desperation that would go into this is the franchise changing draft. And how many times we write this? And if they don't, and actually the other opposite would be if they don't get it right, the world's gonna end. And you know, it'll be another 20 years of being terrible. So that's that's been the big thing there. So it's actually kind of fun to watch and see what these other teams are doing and, um, and watch them sweat. By the way, a shout out to our, our boss, Dave Campbell, who I was talking to him on the phone earlier and he said, this could be one of the best days in bears history. They could find their quarterback and Aaron Rodgers could end up someplace else. <laughs> so it's a great. It's a great point. <laughs> it really is. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers gets traded, hey, by the way, Doug, I've never asked you this. What do you think of fields? You watch him a lot. Oh, no, I, I like him. I think he's got it on and off the field. I haven't seen a lot of quarterbacks who have the natural physical skills he has mm-hmm. in terms of size and speed, who's also as accurate as he is. I was stunned how accurate he was from day one with Ohio State. And often, right, when you're talking about accuracy, we talked about accuracy with Baker Mayfield a lot yeah. coming out. Well, Baker Mayfield doesn't run a 4-4. 
and he's not six three like Justin Fields. So I think he is a bit of a rare combination of talent, sort of physical, athletic talent and accuracy. And he can make every throw. I to me, he can make the reads, he can read the defenses, and then if he's in trouble. He can escape and run 40 yards. So I was confused by everything that's happened. I thought he was the second best quarterback in the draft. Not pretending I'm a Zach Wilson expert, but I think it's a great move for the Bears. So, and also, uh, I mean, if your feels, and Dan, what about this? Are you sitting there? They take this guy from, you know, from North Dakota State who played <laughs> what was it one game this past year or whatever it was? I mean, yeah, he that's the kind of guy to me you take in the second or third round. I mean, I could be wrong, but my goodness. Um, that's, That to me was the Patrick Mahomes effect. Ah. I I feel like there was like, well, maybe not Trey Lance, but Zach Wilson was was definitely a little bit of that Patrick Mahomes effect where everybody sat and passed on Patrick Mahomes back in 2017. And then they look at at a guy like Zach Wilson who kind of plays similarly. Uh, You know, I'll be, I, I couldn't tell you much about Trey Lance. I didn't watch much North Dakota state football, but we wouldn't have seen much of them anyway. Yeah. Right. It's, I mean, the quarterback position so much is they, people get caught up in traits and, and all of that stuff, and that's fair, and it's worked out for certain guys. But, like, sometimes you can just watch a guy and think, man, he's really good. Like, we could say that with Baker. I mean, you go back and watch Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma, and you saw a pretty good quarterback there, like just, just watching him play without getting into the Metro Bowls and all that stuff. So I feel like with Justin Fields, same thing with Trevor Lawrence, right? We watched Trevor Lawrence for three years. That guy is just really good. And Justin Fields, I, I think you see something there. You see, you see how he played against Clemson twice. You, you see how he's played another. Like, I think there's something there with that guy. Is he going to be better than Zach Wilson and, and Trey Lance? I don't know. I couldn't tell you, but he's certainly got a chance because when you watch him play on Saturdays, he looks really good. I do th- uh, Doug, and maybe you could help with this. You ever hear this? It was called the Lewin Rule, L-E-W-I-N. It was one of the real early analytics things. And in fact, this guy later worked for the Cavs and some other teams. Basically, his theory was if he played like fewer than like 24 games, at that point it was like two seasons, and your percentage, you know, this is big time football too, was like under um, 58 or 60%. That's back when the percentages were lower. Uh, you stunk basically in the pros. And there were a lot of, or you struggled, whether it was Sanchez or Achilles Smith and some others. And I was just trying, and you guys think, has there been anybody recently, say, with less than like 20 starts that's done pretty well? Well, I, I know like Parcells is a big believer in that, right? That you have okay. to have a certain number of starts, too. And I know, I mean, that came up with Mitch Trubisky a ton. Yes. Because Mitch Trubisky only started one year at North Carolina. Yes. And, you know, we're covering it. He's a Cleveland guy. And it's like, I, you know, I, why would you get hung up on that? I thought that was a little bit unfair. Like, you're not going to believe in the guy just because he didn't happen. You can't control who else is on your college team. And like, here we are. And now Mitch Trubisky is like in that column of like, see, he didn't start that much in college and it didn't work. And so the theory too, the other thing that would go on is, and see what you guys, Dan, or whatever think, is so you take a guy who doesn't play that much, Sanchez, Trubisky or whatever, and you almost end up starting him right away. Right. And, and that's the new thing too, right? I mean, like it's hard to, when you are in these desperate modes to not start a guy right away. And it's it's the instinct of everybody. I do think the guy that came into play with Trey Lance is Josh Allen. I mean, and that's an obvious comparison, but you know, North Dakota state, Wyoming, I think if Josh Allen hadn't worked, 
I'm not sure Trey Lance would have gone this high. And I think that's a little bit of a fallacy because I like, I think from an analytical standpoint, a lot of people would tell you, you know, Josh Allen, there was a lot going against him, but he might be the exception to the rule, right? Mm -hmm. He was really inaccurate. The level of competition wasn't great, but he figured it out. But it doesn't mean that everybody's going to figure it out. But I also have changed my mind a little bit about this. It doesn't mean that I think the Browns should have taken Josh Allen over Baker Mayfield. But over time, I do understand the idea of, you know what? Let's shoot for upside at quarterback. And if we're wrong, bail, give up, and fire again. And keep firing until you get it right. Who cares whether he's what his basement is? Yeah. Draft on ceiling until you get it right. And so if that's what you do with Trey Lance, and if you're wrong, you're wrong. But I would rather do that with Trey Lance and Justin Fields than I would with Mac Jones, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe Mac Jones's floor is higher, but who cares? I, like, I don't know that his ceiling is there. And so that's why I'm not surprised that Mac Jones is the quarterback who's still sitting there. I just and it's, up, it's up, not up, as up. expensive. Sorry, Terry. It's not as expensive to take those shots now either. Yeah. You know, because you're, you're, not, you're not drafting a guy number one and paying him $50 million anymore. Now, you know, I mentioned this a little earlier, that fifth-year option changing to being guaranteed after year three makes it a little dicier because you got to make that decision earlier and you can't, you know, you used to be able to pick up that option and then you got a year to cut the guy if you want. Now you don't have that option, but still, even with that, it's cheaper to kind of keep taking those shots and taking those shots if it doesn't work out. And also, what do you guys think where if you, if he's good enough to pick up the fifth-year option, and after three years, and even if he struggles in year four, you probably could trade him somewhere for something. I mean, Sam Darnold got traded. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that That's my point. There you go. By the way, uh, I looked it up. Allen had 27 college starts at Wyoming. Okay. And he played in junior college, too. So, of course, some of those other guys like Achilles Smith did. But I'm not saying it's everything, but it's just this is a unique to go three that high. And I think you guys are on to the Mahomes I, well, I don't want to be the guy that missed on that one. Maybe because I'm wearing a Wyoming hat, I'm partial to, <laughs> to Josh Allen right now. I got tired of seeing my bald head on these awful things. Well, I know, and people have brought up the point, you know, the Niners, the year that the Bears took Trubisky and the Niners yeah. traded with the Bears, and they could have taken Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes, they took Solomon Thomas, who's not even on the Niners anymore. So they, yeah, they wow. could have had their quarterback before. So now when they're going to take quarterback, aren't you going to take upside? And then they wind up taking Trey Lance. Micah Parsons, pick number 12. That's a big 10 guy, Mm. Penn State linebacker who opted out this year. He goes 12 to Dallas. I think that's a little high for him. Um, He's a guy that was heavily recruited by Ohio State for a long time. He's from Pennsylvania, wound up at Penn State. We're at 12 picks in. Terry, the Browns are at 26. Dan and I were talking a lot about the cornerbacks. Two cornerbacks off the board. How interested are you in cornerback? for the Browns or is there somebody in particular that you are really eyeing as the guy that you hope is there when the Browns pick at 26? Well, I've given up on the linebacker debate. Uh, so, <laughs> because they don't like them. And so at least they don't like them in the first round. So uh, not going to go down there. Uh, Ellis uh, Williams really helped me on, on Newsome and it got me really to look at him and, you know, he's pretty interesting. I, I guess the Stoke kids, I, one of the things that Mike Pettin was right about, boy, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure it was the last time I've ever said those, those words <laughs> together, but one of the things that Mike Pettin was right about is almost like um, you could never have enough cornerbacks. And he almost related them. I had one-on-one with them once, but kind of like pitching. You know, you, you think you have enough and then you don't. And when you don't, boy, do you get hurt. 
so that's why I do think that, you know, that all this stuff on Gritty Williams, this guy's got to get on the field to show me anything. 12 games. Maybe not as good as Terrence Mitchell. Yeah. Right? I mean, I don't Would know. Like, picked, not uh, Suppose they're both the old thing, change the name on the back of the jerseys, and they play with no names in their jerseys. There's Mitchell. There's Will, Greedy Williams. Who's better? No, I, I, the idea that like Greedy is locked into a starting spot, yeah. even if he's healthy, I think is certainly no guarantee, Terry. Yeah, I, I think that would be one of those things where, you know, this front office has done so many things right, and there's been so little to criticize. Mm-hmm. I think if we went into this season with Greedy Williams kind of written in pen as that starter, I, I think that would be something that we look at and say, all right, you guys are taking a pretty big risk here. Now, maybe they'd prove right. And it would be just another one of those things that they got right. But I think if, if you're really believing in yourself as a Super Bowl contender, and I sure think they are, you, you've got to make sure you're covered at that number two corner spot. All right, so the cornerbacks right now, so who do they have after Denzel and, and Greedy? Who else? Well, they have, I mean, Troy Hill can play inside and out, but you want him to play inside. Yeah. That's why you signed him. Okay. Um, and your fourth corner is who right now? MJ okay, Stewart? Are we, ta- are we talking Robert Jackson? They're probably going to add somebody, right? I mean, there yeah. are some people, there are some veterans still available mm-hmm. floating around out there. It feels like, you know, just the way they added Malcolm Smith late last year, you know, Ronnie Harrison after the Delpit injury late last year, there, there will be a corner they can add. But Terry, like uh, to your point, yeah, it's, they don't have enough yet. They don't have enough. And that's why it feels like that's the position, even if it's not in the first round, it's going to be addressed, I think, at least by day two. That Maybe they have to do something. You take a I, I think they'll they'll draft a corner for sure at some point. Here, you guys want me to read you the names? Yes, please. These these are the corners on the roster. This is just in alphabetical order. Brian <laughs> Allen, first time I've heard that name. AJ Green, which was uh, the undrafted free agent out of uh, Oklahoma What's State last they year. They gave one hundred sixty million, one hundred sixty thousand to sign. It's undrafted. Troy Hill, Robert Jackson, MJ Stewart. Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams. So there's not really, I mean, Robert Jackson and AJ Green, and I'll admit I know absolutely nothing about Brian Allen, but it's basically Robert Jackson and AJ Green are your three and four corners right now. Cause I think MJ Stewart is pretty much primarily an inside guy. No, I think that, I think it's the spot where again, we saw it last year. It's not quite as gaping as left tackle. It's like we all knew they were taking a left tackle mm-hmm. at 10 last year because they didn't have a left tackle. And it just fit perfectly. It was There was a surplus in the draft where they were picking at 10. They knew they would get a good one. It's not quite to that point at corner at 26 because there's too many things that can happen in front of you. But I think you're – I mean, Dan, you're right that if it's not 26, <laughs> man, it's certainly in round two or it's certainly – one of the third round picks, or maybe, maybe you take one in the second round and one in the third round that you got to take a couple shots on some guys. And this is where you get back into the trade down area that, you know, Ellis said trade down. I know it's been discussed. If there isn't a guy you love at 26, but there's five guys you like in the forties, well, maybe you move down, get an extra third round or get something for next year or whatever. And you add volume if you're not going to get one of your top four guys, if Farley and Newsom are both off the board, Terry, would you be okay? Like if, if Caleb Farley and Greg Newsom are gone 
And I think they will be, but it, you know, they're not yet. How good is Stokes? I like Stokes, but I don't know anything. He's big. He runs a sub four, three. So he's big and he's fast and he covered sec receivers at Georgia. I guess the knock on him is he's not great with the ball in the air that he, he has good coverage and he doesn't necessarily react to it. Well, well, I don't know if you got a big guy who runs a four, three, I would think maybe you could help him get better at that in the NFL. And I would maybe be interested in the traits associated with that. Tyson Campbell's the other corner from Georgia. They're both kind of projected in that 30, 40 range. I had Mm -hmm. Stokes at 26 for the Browns, but Terry, I think either of them and you get into that mix, right? Maybe not one of the top four, but that second tier of corners could be very, very attractive to them. And, And then at that point you start talking about, do you make that pick at 26 or do you try and make it tomorrow? Right. And then if you, if you trade down, right, then you, then it's where you start trusting Andrew Barry. Maybe you trade down from 26, but then maybe now if you have, you have two thirds, you have two fourths, you traded your first down. Maybe you have an extra one there. Maybe you can move up in the second, right. With what you traded down to come up and you don't have to wait to 59 to get your guy. Maybe you can come up and get your guy in the late thirties or the forties. Would you be okay with the trade down Terry? Or are you not, are you not in that business? I'm okay. I mean, if you, I'm, not, I'm not wild about trading out of the top 10 or something like that, but you know, 26 to 34, I don't know, 40. I, I, cause really, I don't, I don't sit around staring at videos of all these guys or whatever, by the way, to your point though, um, what's wrong with a bigger cornerback? Sideways. I'm tired of, oh, I, I like big corner. I, I think this team needs a big corner. Yeah. Denzel, Denzel can play big, but he's still only what five ten, and you know he's going to play twelve games, right? And, and I think kind of knock. It's just what happens. I haven't done the research on it. I don't know enough if there are lots of teams that have two smaller corners, but that would be the situation oh. with Asante Samuel, who seems like a skilled guy from Florida State, but he's small. So now, if you take him, now you know is that what you want? All things being equal this seems like it would be an opportunity to lean toward a bigger corner given what you have Mm -hmm. already. So I I do think that's where maybe a guy like Stokes could come into the picture. Uh, Dan, Dan, the the great list you just read. So who are actually the outside cornerbacks besides Denzel and Grady? Um, AJ Green is probably an outside guy. Robert Jackson is an outside guy. I, maybe Brian Allen is, but, <laughs> but you like, know who he is. yeah, you're not relying on that guy. So, <laughs> and uh, you know, MJ Stewart can probably play outside, right? Like Kevin Johnson could have, could play outside and, and might've actually, I mean, Kevin Johnson was competing for that number two corner spot. Yeah. and might've had a leg up on it before he had that injury. Um, but you know, I don't know. I mean, you're you're looking at Robert Jackson, AJ Green, and that's maybe MJ Stewart, about. or or you got to move Troy Hill about. out. And I don't I don't think you want to move Troy Hill outside. You brought him in to lock down that inside spot. And and guys, when they were talking about uh, getting the defensive tackle after Richardson was let go, um, well, I think we just highlighted the fact that if you are looking at need. Your de- all right, your defensive tackles. List them down. You've got the roster there. I mean, obviously, you have Billings. Oh. And you have- Hold on. Billings, I got, I got Elliott, and yeah. Malik Jackson. I mean, I think that's 
you know, we talked about that on Gotta Watch the Tape. I think that feels like a trio that you can rotate through those two I spots. Think and, that and that might idea. be okay. It's like how often how often do you does your fourth defensive tackle get on the field if everybody's healthy? Like not a well, ton, probably. And plus if Clowney can play inside a little bit on passing yeah. downs, that kind of thing, it gives you a little flexibility. You can play Miles inside too. I like that idea. I mean, Miles' first career sack came from uh three technique. He, he can get in there if you want to mix things up. And I think Tack can probably play inside too. So you've got just so we have the guys on the roster, Malik Jackson, Andrew Billings, Sheldon Day, and Jordan Elliott are your four defensive tackles right now. Uh, and by the way, the guy we never talk about that I see on this list, he's, he's not a tackle, but Curtis Weaver. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's one of those guys. Is, at some point tonight when we start talking about edge guys, I think we, we maybe need to do a better job of bringing up Curtis Weaver. He's, because he's the forgotten man, because he was out all last year. They didn't draft him. They claimed him off waivers. We never saw or heard from him. But obviously he's a guy that they like, considering that they grabbed him and stashed him. I do think, and I don't, I don't know about this, but if they like Asante Samuel, who I think can play inside or out, he's a smaller guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you could draft Asante Samuel and then have your plan B that Troy Hill is going to compete with Greedy outside. And if Troy Hill beats out Greedy or if Greedy's not healthy, then Troy Hill's your outside corner and Asante Samuel's your slot corner. I don't know if that could work. Troy Hill played inside for the Rams last year, but Dan, he played outside a yeah. lot of his career before that. Clearly... We, you know, I think we thought of him as a slot corner when he came here, but I don't know if they would view his flexibility as something that could, could give them a little flexibility in how they draft a corner potentially. Right. And, and Terry, you know, this, I I mean, you can never, you can bring a guy in and have the best laid plans for him. This is going to be the inside corner, but Mm -hmm. the NFL doesn't let you really have plans very often. A guy gets hurt. You mentioned Denzel Ward misses four games a year all those plans can get torpedoed. And and one of those things could be, yeah, Troy Hill ends up starting on the outside. If he's the best guy out there, I would, I would do it. If you get to training camp and he's your best, he's your second best outside corner. And you've got to scramble a little bit to figure out what to do on the inside. I, I wouldn't hesitate to do that. I think that second outside corner spot is that important. Plus you have those safeties. You've got three safeties that can all play against that can all play in the slot. Terry, the idea of, and, and as we watch this, three receivers off the board so far through 13 picks, no defensive linemen off the board yet. We know the edge class is not great. None of them have gone yet. The idea of a receiver in the first round, Terry, whether it's Elijah Moore, whether it's Rashad Bateman, it would have to be somebody that maybe slips a little bit to them. That clearly would be a, a pick sort of aiming toward a future where you don't have both Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry on this roster long-term. How interested are you on the idea of a receiver at 26 for the Browns? If one falls there. Not nearly as interested as I am at a cornerback. I just, you know, the, the more we look at those names, the more I go, Oh my goodness. And I do remember Barry, by the way, mentioning a couple of times in different things about uh, Hill having uh, the flexibility to play inside or out leading to the point that he knows that they're going to have to get some depth there. Whereas when it comes to receivers, yeah, you've got the, you know, you got the two guys making 30 million combined, but you also, you do have Richard. I know he's my client and all that, but still, you still got him. And you also have, uh, what do you guys think of people's Jones? I'm intrigued by people's Jones. I mean, if he's your, if he's your fourth best receiver on the roster right now, he's a sure a heck of a lot better than the fourth best corner on the roster right now. I know that, right, Dan? 
Right. And, and I just, I keep cautioning people with this because this is the reality. Somebody you like is not going to play this year and that's fine because you have a ton of talent and you should win a bunch of games, but like Donovan people's Jones might not play as much as people want him to play this year, or I don't know, David Njoku or Harrison Bryant might not play as much as, as people want to see him play, or you might not see that Kareem hunt, Nick Chubb backfield that we all want to see so much, or at least I want to see a ton of, uh, you might not see that. Right. (laughs) I mean, you can only have five guys out there besides your offensive line and your quarterback. So, you know, it's a good problem to have, but I do think Browns fans need to understand, like, especially if they draft a wide receiver at 26, somebody's going to be the odd man out. And, you know, we're going to be getting questions. Our subtexters are going to question, you know, Terry, you're going to get, Hey, Terry's, Hey, why isn't this guy playing more? Why isn't this guy getting the ball more? Well, I mean, that, that's just how it is. And as long as the coaching staff can manage it, it's fine because somebody's going to get hurt. They're going to need somebody to step up at some point. Well, you said and, it. You said it's, the a, magic it's a good words. thing to have too much talent. You said the magic words. It was something when I, I'm going to be the old guy card. 1979, I'm a rookie writer covering the Baltimore Orioles. And I, we're going on about something about pitching, this and that. And Earl Weaver looks at me and says, kid, Remember this, somebody always gets hurt. And often it's not who you think will get hurt. And by the way, there were a few adjectives in there that, uh, you know, Weaver would sprinkle when he was trying to get ejected. But then he would laugh and cackle. But it, it is, it always stuck with me. I mean, listen, that's 150 years ago or pretty close. And, you know, just like last year, you know, Odell did get hurt. And if you go back and look uh, at, you know, some of the other guys, they didn't have as much, but all of a sudden the whole secondary seemed to get hurt. So it's always something, you know, happening. And that's why when you say other different receivers and, and, you know, Odell is still coming off an ACL and he still is a guy that's missed 42% of the games over the last three years. I say that over and over again, because he gets hurt. I want to make sure I ask you about this, Terry, before you leave us. Andrew Barry, I think a lot of people believe in Andrew Barry in this front mm-hmm. office. I think a lot of that is based on, even though, I mean, they hired Stefanski before they hired Andrew Barry, so he didn't really hire Kevin Stefanski, but I think there's general faith with what's happening because of the Barry and Stefanski hires. He clearly has been targeted and smart in the free agency with what he did on the offensive side of the ball last offseason and on the defensive ball this offseason. But we only have one draft. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to be negative, but I just want to spin it an opposite way than how we usually talk about it. Taking Jedrick Wills at 10, you know, I think Tristan Wirfs probably had a better rookie year at tackle than Wills did. I think Makai Becton probably had a better rookie year at tackle than Wills did. Wills was good, but you could argue there were two tackles taken after him who maybe were a little bit better. Grant Telpit, terrible injury. No blame no. on that. Jacob Phillips, we don't know. Third round, we, we don't know exactly. Jordan Elliott, third rounder we don't know exactly nick harris will he contribute interior line we don't know exactly terry do we know what kind of drafter andrew barry is like do we automatically have faith in andrew barry for this draft or are we not exactly sure yet and we have to see what happens over the next three days i mean to be fair to barry the first round pick i would argue you know, worst played right tackle and that helps you know as opposed to left this kid went from right to left and didn't get annihilated. And the first left tackle taken in that draft was a Brown, the, the guy that the, the Giants took. He's awful. Awful. 
you, so you could make some huge mistakes there. So, and Becton, I know there's a lot of, um, there's some injury and kind of work ethic concerns with him, despite the fact he's really gifted. So I, I would, you know, looking at that, I mean, if I had a redraft, I'm still taking Wills. And that was the main thing. He had to get that right. He had to get the left right. And he had to be able to go from right to left, you know. And he did. That worked out. So that was his biggest job. But to your point, then it gets interesting. You know, Delpit, we know nothing about him. He's coming off an Achilles. And then Will, what, what did Phelps give? Was it a knee he kept having? What was his problem? He had a, he had a knee at one point. He, there, there are a couple things here and there. But, yeah, they, the knee injury was kind of – That's what I remember. What's hair that? He plays with his hair on fire. Right, right. And there's, there's clips out there of him. You see him running around making hair plays. On fire. I had a hair on fire a long time ago, and look what <laughs> happened. You know, I mean, I got Ted Harrison had his hair on fire. Phillips had his hair on fire. There's a lot of hair on fire. But – we need these guys with their hair on fire. To, and even uh, Harrison, he missed five games. We need these guys on the field to see. But to, to, to Doug's point, um, Delpit, we know nothing. Phillips, we know almost nothing. Uh, Elliot, we'll see. Uh, Harris, I will give him that game where he went in and played guard. Uh, that He did a nice job that day. What's in his position? I think the next time he had some trouble at guard. Uh, he, and then, yeah, he was, he was bad in his second game. Yeah. Um, I do like Bryant. I think that he, he's a guy that could take a big step up uh, with this offense. And I like Peoples Jones, but uh, are any of those besides Wills a locket to, to be a starter uh, based on what we saw last year? Uh, it would. Yeah, I mean, I they're dope, but we don't know. It's. I- I, I do think it's important. I mean, Andrew, we always joke that he doesn't tell us anything in his pressers, but there are things he tells us. And I, okay. I think the way he views the draft is mm-hmm. I'm not bringing guys in to start immediately. Now, Jedrick Wills was different. Grant Delpit was yeah. different. But for the most part, I think he views the draft as we're thinking long game. So if Jacob Phillips and Jordan Elliott come in and they aren't superstars day one, that's okay. We need them to develop and grow and eventually become starting caliber players in year three or year four. I don't, I, I think there's very few instances where he views the draft as I'm going to go grab a guy that I need to have on the field right now. Again, last year was different just because left tackle was so desperate and they couldn't fix everything in free agency. But I think we're, we're seeing a little more now like, okay, maybe we don't know what Jacob Phillips is, but there's no way we can judge it yet. I think I think when we're doing this a year from now, yes. we'll probably be able to have a little bit better of a verdict on whether Phillips is a good pick or not. Same with Elliott, all, all these other guys. For what it's worth, Joe Banner told me, because you know he, he was one of the early analytics guys, that only 20% of third-round picks like become starters for like more than two years or something like that. It was a 20% figure. Um, a <laughs> Mac, lot Jones, of Mac Jones of the Patriots, by the way. Could it be oh, it more per, I mean, like <laughs> they just sit there, they just yeah. sit and he falls right in their lap. They didn't, so they didn't have to move. Anything, huh? They just sat there. And I think it's the right spot for Mac Jones. I think it, it's where we had him in our mock draft. I think it's the right fit. Now he'll probably be good, but I don't think anybody else ahead of the Patriots should have taken him. I think this is exactly where Mac Jones should have gone, 15 to New England. Sorry, Terry, go ahead about Joe Banner and the third-round picks. So when we talk about Jacob Phelps, we talk about Elliott uh, or whoever else, you know, it's 
it's that 20% figure is the one that one they, they use. You know, we often remember the guys that end up starting from the lower there, but there's a whole bunch of uh, names that don't. So um, what do you, what do you guys think of Jones? Of Mac Jones? Yes. So they ran an RPO heavy offense. He was surrounded by unbelievable talent. He had a brilliant play caller in Steve Sarkeesian and he was set up to succeed. So, but just because you're set up to succeed doesn't mean you're guaranteed to succeed. So I think if, you know, I don't think he can carry a franchise, but I think in the right situation with the right coach, I think he's, I think he's a quick decision maker with that RPO offense at Alabama. You know, you, you got to get it out of your hands and read the defense and bang and it's out. I think he can be that guy in the right situation. I think he probably fell into the right situation, but I think to try to put him in San Francisco, what's your, the upside you're looking for at three, I wouldn't have done it, but, but this, this feels right. And I think it's quite possible that the Patriots just got their quarterback for the next 15 years. And we may all look back and be like, Oh my God, I can't believe the league. Let Mac Jones fall the Patriots. This was the right thing. This he he's not his, his natural talent isn't good enough for him to go any higher than this, but he can probably go run Josh McDaniels offense and look pretty good. Yeah, he's, he's going to a great offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, he's he's got some targets now in New England. This isn't quite the Patriots of a year ago. He's got two really good tight ends. They're kind of going back to, you know, they were that team that ran that big, heavy tight end offense way back in, you know, what was it? When they had Gronk and Hernandez. I mean, they were doing it before everybody else started doing it again. So they're, they're kind of going back to that. And, you know, I, I, w- I would trust him in Josh McDaniel's offense. But I'm with you, Doug. This isn't a guy you can take at number three. You've got to take – Bigger upside, bigger swing at number three. This is a good Who fit. Who was the guy three. that you we'll wanted see. to trade for? Wasn't he from Alabama? I'm having an old man's brain fart. AJ a. McCarron? AJ McCarron. Yeah, this is, <laughs> I guess he's. I'm I think, sorry, but I just. I think Mac Jones is like turbocharged AJ McCarron, <laughs> but it's like in the right, it's in the realm, right? And not, this is not a shot at the Patriots. He will have less offensive talent around him with the Patriots than he did at Alabama. Yeah. Because he had two first round receivers and Najee Harris hasn't been picked yet, but he's going to get picked. He had three first round skill guys around him. I, I don't see Jalen Waller or Devontae Smith on the Patriots right now. And I know they signed all this stuff in free agency, but it is something you have to keep in mind. But that's an argument you could use against Justin Fields, too, because the mm-hmm. Ohio State, they have two receivers who are going to go in the first round next year that Justin Fields was throwing to. Mac Jones actually reminds me a little bit of Dwayne Haskins, the Ohio State quarterback who went mm-hmm. 15 a couple drafts ago and busted out mm-hmm. because he's a get rid of the ball, get it out of your hands, be a point guard. And it was a mess in Washington, and it didn't work. He needs the right system. Mac Jones needs the right system. He might have it in New England. Terry, before we let you go, who's your pick? Who do you think the Browns will take? It's boring, but I'm going to go. I want a cornerback, so if I would. I I would say, all right. I got Newsom one, Stokes two, kind of guys that might be there, and uh, Samuel's three. How's that for order? Okay, now we're going to get into a little bit of a debate about what the Browns should do if Rashad Bateman and Greg Newsom are both available at 26. And guess what? They were. So this is Doug Scott. Ellis and I discussing that very topic. This is the very last thing before we kind of go barreling in to that Browns draft pick. Can I ask a question? Can we put people on the Absolutely. record? Because they might get to this. If Rashad Bateman and Greg Newsom are both there at 26, who do you take? That's like, that's like the best of both worlds, right? It's the corner. 
It's a clean corner, no injury stuff, and it's a clean receiver. Who do you take? Ellis, who do you take? Oh, I'm going to, my Minnesota bias is going to start showing. Let's blame it on my offensive bias. I, I would take the receiver. I, I take the receiver. I think that to, and, and Scott, again, as I come in here in real time, kind of made me realize too, like, oh, there are some, some free agent corners too. You know, I'm not opposed to them patchworking that number two or three, we'll call it 2.5 corner spot and figuring it out. And, 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 and when the alternative is adding someone who can, I just, I think of what Dallas had with Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and then CD Lamb. And I know it didn't work out because their quarterback got hurt, but when a strength is a strength and you make it a, an extra strength, that's how you go to the next levels in offense. A corner, and I wrote about how unpredictable first round corner is too. Just take the playmaker, take the game changer. When he's scoring touchdowns on Sunday, everyone will agree. I'm, I'm taking the corner. I'm taking the cornerback. I think you, you, you help yourself in more ways than, than you do uh, on offense. And, and, and I know I've said the Browns hate Richard Higgins, but man, if they take a wide receiver in the first round, <laughs> he should just pack up and leave. That just, I'll drive him to the airport. Just go find <laughs> another team. This, these people seriously don't want you <laughs> anywhere near the football field. I'm, I'm with Scott on this one. I'm taking the corner. I, I think that I think the position I think the position is more valuable. I think Newsom Ellis going going against all the research you've done. I think Newsom is a guy that can start sooner rather than later. I think that's important if you're going to take the corner over the receiver. And I, I think he can help you win this year. Yeah, did no one I give think a you can find a receiver later too? I think you can find a good receiver later. Did no one give a rip about the research I did? I mean, like Scott's out here getting free trials from from sports information, <laughs> and I'm out here trying to just you know crack a decent story, and no one cares that first round corners just have a, a massive mystery. But you know, I'll, I'll I'll keep cracking the numbers. So let me let me ask this, and this is based on no research, as everything I say and write is based on no research. <laughs> it feels like to me that actually that you can get in trouble chasing kind of iffy receivers in the second and third round maybe that's totally wrong maybe it's just because i like eric stokes and tyson campbell's at the same college do, do it does it maybe feel like if you took bateman and then can you package could you package one of your third round picks with your second round pick to move up from 59 a little bit maybe even give them and come get a corner come get like a corner in the second round but that the difference between Bateman and what else you might get at receiver in this draft or any other one, because listen, they're going to keep being good. It's hard to get good receivers when you're good, right? You take Bateman and then you put a lot of effort. They could take a defensive guy with every other pick and just say, we, this guy was too good to pass up. I'm not saying he's Michael Thomas, but he might be Michael Thomas. And they had a chance at Michael Thomas and they passed on that Big Ten receiver for a little Big 12 receiver, and it set the franchise back. I think I might be with Ellis. Not based I'm, on positional value, but based on the dude. This particular dude probably shouldn't be here at 26. Maybe you've got to jump on him. I'm, I'm going to disagree, though, with the idea that it's harder to get a receiver if you're good. Well, I mean, Michael Thomas was a second-round pick. 
That's true. I, that just, I, Justin I, 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 I refuted my own argument in the middle of my argument, Dan. And you called <laughs> Justin, me on it. Justin Jefferson last year. I think it's really hard to draft receivers high in the draft. I think it's really hard to get that right. And, you know, and maybe that's the case for Rashad Bateman, right? You had all these big name receivers go early and maybe Rashad Bateman's going to end up being the best of the bunch who goes in the twenties. You know, who knows, but I think it's possible unless you, we've seen good receivers go late first, early second round. Well, we got a draft update here. The one, another uh, cornerback is off the board, Caleb Farley to the Titans. Oh, okay. Like, here, like, here we go, Doug. Cause we thought, we thought Tennessee was a potential receiver right. spot. Or, replacing or Corey Dave, right? So the Titans take the injury risk, take that option, let them deal with it. Maybe it's great. Maybe it busts, but now the Browns don't even have to think about it. I'm not, I'm not upset about Farley going here. I'm not either, but it is now one more corner off the board. You know, we, we, we might end up right where we thought we were going to. Minnesota is going to screw it up. Minnesota, because that's the one, Always. right? I mean, because if Minnesota liked a corner, but thought that we can get our corner at 23, we don't have to take him at 14. I mean, that's Greg Newsom. Let, let me get it. Yeah, well, let me get a Vikings let, Twitter. I bet Mary Kay, Mary Kay had Greg Newsom going to the Vikings. Not in this spot, but. She mocked Greg Newsom to the Vikings. This could be it. This could be it. And to that point, right. It's not great. I guess it's not great news when any corner goes off the board. Scott, if, if Newsom's gone, Scott, you want a corner and Dan, you want a corner. So let's say this. So now we're playing the game. All right. Let's say Greg Newsom doesn't make it to 26. Would you still take a corner? Would you take Samuel? Would you take Tyson Campbell? Would you take Eric Stokes? Like if, you, or, or are they not worth it? If you wanted a corner, did you only want one of the top four corners? I, I'm taking calls. I think if Newsom goes in the next pick, I'm taking, I'm taking calls on number 26. Do, Scott, do you, and then if, if no, if nobody bites, maybe I'm looking at Bateman or an edge rusher, but I, I, I might start taking phone calls at 26. I mean, I've seen, it, it, sorry, Scott. I want, quick, real quickly, I've seen two Vikings beat writers say the Vike. It feels like a uh, offensive lineman. No pick okay. in yet, but that's what I read. Go ahead, Scott. I, I'm I'm still thinking corner it, in the first round. I mean, I just think that position should be valued more by the Browns, uh, just based on what they have on the roster. And the fact that you brought back your entire receiving core. And maybe they're happy with Donovan Peoples-Jones. Maybe they think they, they somehow, you know, struck something uh, important, uh, you know, in the sixth round with that guy. So, I don't know. I think, like I said, corner is the one spot that they have not drafted yet, and it's the one spot that they need depth. It's the one spot where you have, well, one of a couple, where you have a guy coming back you're just not sure about yet. It just makes too much sense. Can I ask you guys this? If they take a receiver – does that signal a surprise that that player was there? Yes. Yeah. I think if they take Bateman, it's just like, we, they're going to come out and say, we never thought he'd be there. Right. They're going to say, we had this guy in the top 12 on our board and we couldn't pass up the value at a premium position. We love Odell. We love Jarvis. We love Richard. We love Kaderil Hodge. We love Donovan Peoples-Jones. 
he's too good of a football player. I think they would say that. I think it would be true. Yep. So let me ask, let me pin people down more on corners. Dan and Scott, <laughs> you're going to live in this corner oh, world. And I know Dan's ready to trade out. If Newsom's gone, Asante Samuel is a smaller corner. Are you cool with that? Because it feels it's, like Asante Samuel is maybe the consensus number five corner, but he's smaller. Would you take him? He's a guy I had uh, had them taken on my uh, Browns mock. And, I mean, hey, if Greedy Williams comes back, he's 6'2". So there's your, there's your taller corner. I, I guess my question is, though, is he, is he just a slot guy in the NFL? I mean, I know I've, I've read reports on him that say he could play inside or out, but what if he gets to the NFL and he's just a slot corner? I don't know if I want to use 26 on that, especially because I just paid a slot corner. And, I, you know, Troy Hill can play outside. And I, I said earlier on the show, if he ends up being your best, your second best outside corner, you've got to put him out there. But that's not the ideal move. You want Troy Hill to be inside. So that would that would give me pause. And, and I would I don't know if I want to take him at 26. I would take him at, I'm just going to throw out a random number, 38, 40. You know, that's where I start to look at these, other, these corners now. I, I don't want to reach for a guy that I have a mid-second round grade on if I'm Andrew Barry. I don't know what Andrew Barry's grade is on him. I don't know. I don't want to reach for that guy at 26. But what if nobody will trade down with you? Like, well, here's then, the thing. Then, yeah. Then you're, well, then you have to take the best player available within reason. So you're not going to take a tackle. You're not going to take a quarterback. You're not going to take a running back. Probably not. Yeah. You're not going to take a running back. But then I think at that point, that's where we start having the Bateman discussion because I just don't think this organization and this GM is going to sit there and, and reach, I think reach for need. I think if that fit isn't there, I think they're going to take the best player available. And that's when you start having the Bateman discussion. If nobody wants to trade down. And then I think JOK comes in. Yes, I think JOK yes, is a really good I forgot good about player. him. He's still out there. Yeah. And, and so we haven't talked about him lately, but if Newsom's gone and there's not the perfect corner fit, it might come down to JOK and Bateman. I'm telling you, man, there's still Newsom, JOK, and Bateman. I still think you would feel very good about, and there are three picks left until they go. And those are three names. Unless they go three for three, one of those guys is going to be there. And then Aziz Ojolari, I don't want an edge guy but I think he's the most interesting edge guy, right? I think he's productive. He's young. Isn't he 20? Like, I think, I think he would fit a couple things that he's more interesting to me than Jason Owe, Quiddy pay Phillips Russo, all that stuff. So Ojolari, I thought wouldn't be around. I, I wouldn't be against him, even though I don't think edge rusher is the priority. I, I wonder Ellison Scott, I mean, you know, do you agree with me though, that like in that situation, if Newsom's gone, and you have a, let's say Andrew Barry has a mid-second round grade or somewhere around there on Asante Samuel, you'd be surprised that he would maybe still take him at 26. Yeah, I, I just I just think this front office and the way they think and, and that, you know, that, that analytics way of thinking, and, and I think it's the right way to do it, is you don't reach to fill needs. You, you take talent. Yeah, I, I don't see – yeah, I don't see any reaching happening. And we've only seen – what one trade back where someone's getting picks next year, which surprised me a little bit. I thought there'd be more of a, the NBA did this a couple of years ago when teams aggressively just 
wanting to get out of the current draft and get into the next year's um, the Browns might be, might be in that spot to do something like that. And if you're positioned Dan of being, well, we have a second round grade on them, but let's take them here. I, I think they would trade back. Cause especially if it's a second round grade that isn't, you know, in the, in the lower thirties or upper thirties, whatever way you look at it, that, you know, those, those more premium second round picks, if it's where the Browns are already in the second round, then you, you can't take them at 26. Well, the Vikings just took an offensive lineman, Christian Derrissaw. So, and the Steelers are going to take Harris at 24. Okay, here we go. We're going to lead you right into the Browns pick. This is starting off with Doug, Scott, Ellis, and me. Uh, I believe the Jacksonville pick is what you're going to hear. We thought maybe it was a safety at first. They ended up, of course, taking a running back. That's not what we're talking about. Starting with that Jacksonville pick and then leading up into the Browns making their selection. And then you're going to get the full reaction. So you'll hear from all of us reacting to the pick. At the very end, Mary Kay was able to hop on for 10 minutes. So if you want to hear what Mary Kay had to say, you got to stick it out till the end or you can fast forward. But I think you should listen to the whole thing. Tim Bielek going to come on and talk about what's happened in the first round, all of that stuff. So this is the meat of the pod right here. I'm going to stop talking and let you start listening. Look, this fell exactly how it needed to fall for the Browns. We're going to stick with you here through the pick. We're going to keep going, obviously, after the pick. we got a full reaction. What's the, we got to all predict what they're going to do here. Oh, man. Too many Newsom, options. Too God, many Newsom, good players. Too many good options. Newsom feels so easy. I'm, I'm going to say new. I'm going to say Newsom, and here's why. And I'm going to be quick because I know this pick is going to happen soon. Just like last year, left tackle was wide open. We knew they were going to take a left tackle. I've said it on the pod a few times. It just feels like cornerback is the one position they haven't truly addressed yet. I think Newsom's the guy. Scott? I'll go with Newsom. I think that's a good argument. Um, I mean, I've been saying all night cornerback, so he's still there. Seems like an easy pick. Ellis? (laughs) Shoot your shot, Ellis. Listen, I'll I'll go first. I'll make it easy for you. I think they're going to look at each other and say, I can't believe Rashad Bateman's still there. And they're going to say, we never planned it. We never planned it. Jacksonville actually went running back. Oh, we got bad info. Travis, Travis ATN. He did it. Oh my gosh. Urban. Okay. So Urban's working for the big 10 network in 2019. Clemson beats Ohio state in a playoff semifinal. Urban comes on the big 10 network and gushes over Trevor Lawrence. I'm not so sure he didn't decide to decide to become a year ahead. The Jaguars coach that night. So now it's like every Ohio State fan hates Dabo Sweeney and Urban just took the two players that turbocharged this last Clemson run. This is too delicious. But again, the Browns didn't want Travis Etienne. So we can discuss that later. I think they look at each other. They say, we can't believe Rashad Bateman's there. We'll get our corner in the second round. We'll use our extra third round pick to move up and get somebody early in the second round if we need to. I think maybe they can't pass Rashad Bateman up. I love all that, Doug. I'm going to go Elijah Moore. Mm. I think that they're going to see a mix of Jojo Natson and Daryl Hodge. Jojo Natson in the, wait, wait, wait. They're going to take in the first round, a mix of Jojo Natson and Daryl Hodge. All right. Yep. Go ahead, bear, bear with me because what Jojo Natson was providing that offense was a lateral expansion of the defense that he can do stuff behind the line of scrimmage. It was all dressed stuff. They were never going to give him the ball anyway, but it is a part of pre-step motion that is integral to uh, Kevin's fancy offense. And they did not have that after Natson left. They tried it with Landry. Sometimes I even think we saw Rashard Higgins 
fake a jet sweep once. No one's buying that. Guys with that type of speed, JoJo Natson or Elijah Moore, give you help you in the run game. They hold defenders. Rashad Bateman's not going behind the line like that. So I think in Moore, you find a perfect blend of, again, Cordero Hodge and JoJo Natson, who was who they wanted to be their number three receiver anyway, a mix of those two players. You get him in Moore. Yeah, both Natson and Hodge were getting more first-team reps than Higgins and, and anybody else uh, under Landry and Beckham last year in, in camp. So, Scott, you might, you might want to – you might want to warm your car up, you know, get, get, get Rashad to the airport. <laughs> I mean, you are right, Ellis. They were using Natson a lot. They were showing that end around a lot with Natson and then he actually got a carry before he got hurt uh, and, and lost his season. So you're, I mean, you're right. They were using him. Um, they just want a player like that. They, they, it adds something to that, the, to the pre-snap and, and the stress it does on the defense and, and, and more is a guy on the board that does that for them right now while providing a, what a receiver does. That's a Jarvis Landry hedge too. Exactly. Because he does a lot of that stuff at a little slower speed, but he does a lot of that stuff. I do think Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa is is a different kind of guy. I, I think he just does different things that there's not a million different guys who are exactly like that. And I think maybe, again, Peter King, Peter King's pretty tapped in. This is the guy that he had the Browns trading up for, JOK, and he's here at 26. So I think he remains a possibility too. As long as, I mean, if they draft Jason no way, I'm going to go to the bathroom again. Like if they, I, as long as they have a multiple ways to win here. We all, like we all put the headline on our draft post. How can the Browns win the draft? I think if it's Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, or Greg Newsom, I think they win the draft. According to Jacina Anderson, they're picking Greg Newsom. Yeah, I saw that as well. It just... It just made, it makes too much sense. It made too much sense. And if there's anything we've learned about Andrew Barry in this front office is they, they do things that make sense. I don't want to say they're predictable, but if you just kind of watch, you can figure some things out. So Dan, you in your, how they win the draft had Greg Newsom to the Browns at 26. But when we did our mock draft, I said, I don't think he'll get there. And in the mock draft, he went at 14. You mm-hmm. said he would have taken him at 16. As we sit here and Greg Newsom is becoming a Cleveland Brown, are you surprised he lasted this long? A little bit, especially because we had that run early. Um, and, and I thought maybe we were going to see, okay, what happened in our mock draft is going to happen in the real draft. We're going to see guys get snapped up. But then you see Zaven Collins go to Arizona, for example. Uh, you know, Tennessee takes the chance on Caleb Farley. I, the reasoning that I had for it was I felt like this was a guy that had a chance to be there at 26. I felt like he fit an immediate need and I felt like it wasn't a reach. He, he kind of checked all of those boxes for me. And so that's why I had him there, but I wasn't sure if he was going to make it to 26 or not. I don't know how much work you guys did on Newsom. I mean, it's like when you read about Newsom, it's like, he's got good size. He's got good speed. He's got good technique. He doesn't like, he just seems clean. And, and again, it's one of those things that's like, oh, who do you think they'll take at 26? Oh, this corner who has all good things and no faults. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm sure he'll <laughs> get to 26, which is why I was skeptical. Like, how good is this guy? I have no idea. What do you guys, Scott and Ellis, what do you think of this guy? Go ahead, Scott. I, I think from what I understand, that he didn't get a lot of looks. Like, he just didn't get a lot of action last year. And that might be a knock on him. That might, I mean, with cornerback, that's sometimes a good thing. So 
pretty much every mock that, cause I did the mock draft roundup, uh, you know, every week kind of leading up to this. I mean, New Newsom was never in the discussion. It was always linebacker or edge rusher, but Newsom was usually gone before this, this point uh, in, in the national mocks that I was going through. So it is kind of a surprise that he fell this far. Yeah. Um, Greg Newsom. I love how fluid he is. He's extremely comfortable at the top of routes, uh, getting challenged on, on deeper intermediate stuff. A lot of his third down stuff I saw, uh, he, even in, in off coverage, he's confident in the space he starts with knowing he'll close well or in route recognition, break on something to you know, force an incompletion teams punting. I, I saw a, Oh, an okay amount of that. Um, but even when the ball is not going his way, I saw a lot more to Scott's points of when the ball wasn't going his way and, and it's still just his, his ability to get in the guy's hip pocket. He's fine with playing trail. I like his length, but Doug, it's to what you said that I also didn't see anything that flashes like he's going to be a all pro. That doesn't mean he can't be. And that's what I really hope we make clear in this draft process. It's like these, there's still plenty of room for development. In all these kids, I think, quarterback might be the only spot where you really say like oh his ceiling is here like all the everyone else these positions are solely so much based on your athleticism matching your football iq and that takes uh, you know four or five years to finally solidify sometimes more for people so i think this is a great pick and it does fall right in line with all right yeah he does everything pretty well no red flags we can plug him in if we need to and if not there's zero pressure for him to play six there are, foot there are Six foot one ninety two for Greg Newsom. Yep. Yeah, not like super big. You know, not like the the guys at the top that I thought that guy's like six two. You know, those were that was a size that I really would have liked, but you would have had to move up to get those guys. And as everybody says, there are some durability concerns. You are taking a risk there. You got durability concerns kind of across that secondary now. But if he's healthy, he, he can play soon. And re- so, real quick on the tape thing, I just to get this in, he, because you mentioned his size, he plays longer and, and just looks longer than he's listed. It's it, it just his, you can tell with his arm length. I don't know what he measured at, but he is, he looks more disruptive with his length than the 6 1 shows or illustrates. So, he's from Northwestern. Northwestern won the Big Ten West last year. They played Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. So, there was a lot of talk about Greg Newsom before Ohio State played them. Northwestern won because of its defense. Rashawn Slater, the other Northwestern, Northwestern, believe it or not, had two guys in the first round, but Rashawn Slater, the offensive tackle, had opted out. This was a Northwestern team that was as good as they were because of their secondary. They had another young playmaker back there who I think might be a first rounder in a year or two. But Greg Newsom was sort of the heart and soul of that. And then they got to the Big Ten championship game against Ohio State and Northwestern hung in that game the whole time. And Greg Newsom got hurt like in the first quarter, didn't play. So, so like in terms of like durability, durability. All week, it was like, listen, Ohio State has these great receivers, but, but Northwestern strength is their secondary. We wrote and talked a lot about Greg Newsom, and then he didn't play, and Northwestern like hung in without him. So I wish I knew more about Greg Newsom, but I didn't get eyeballs on him because in their biggest game of the year, he wasn't out there. So I don't, I don't even remember exactly what happened, but I know the discussion around it is this was a top 25 team, an overachieving team, and I think people would tell you the number one guy, the engine of that was Greg Newsom. So that's the kind of guy he is. It's almost, it's almost a boring pick, right? 
I mean, it's the guy we talked about so much. And you had a guy like JOK on the board. You had the traits guy in Owe on the board. But I, I mean, in this case, it feels like boring is good. Yeah, I, I just correct me if I'm wrong, you guys, but he, he's just going to come in with zero pressure. I mean, if he starts week one and looks bad, then okay, that, that, that'd be a tough look. But then he just would, you know, you take him out of the lineup and he can just chill. A receiver comes in here with the expectations of a receiver, the Odell thing you know, replacing those two, all of this just baked in stuff that is superficial anyway. Greg Newsom's just going to come in here. And if he plays well right away, awesome. If he if the, he's not asked to, no big deal. I mean, everything about it is is boring in, in all the best ways. I agree. Do we expect him now? Like if we were doing, Scott, if you were doing a depth chart for the Browns right now, would the two starting outside cornerbacks be Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom? Uh, I would probably put Greedy Williams there just because he's, you know, what he was the starter before he was hurt. He's he's not as good as Terrence Mitchell and he was the 37th pick and he missed all last year because of injuries. Oh, 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 I agree. He's not as, he wasn't as good as Terrence Mitchell, (laughs) at least not in his first year, but just because you don't perform well as a rookie doesn't mean, you know, you're a bust. So Um, I, I would put, I would put Newsom behind Ward or, or greedy, at least going into camp, the Browns certainly aren't going to put Newsom in a starting spot going into camp. You know, they didn't do that with greedy Williams either. They're going to, you know, they make you kind of earn that. I'm I'm going to bail here real quick. We're going to hear from Andrew and and Kevin here shortly. So I'm going to bail. I'll be back after we hear from them. I'll give everybody a little bit of an update on that. So I will uh, hand things off to you guys. All right. Thank you, Dan. Go ahead, Alice. Yeah. This pick solidifies for me that the training camp battle for the number two corner will be everything we thought the position battle at right guard was going to be a year ago. This is going to be a fierce one, assuming injuries and everyone's healthy. I I just don't see how you can, you know, you can't take Newsom's college tape and, you know, whatever you've gotten out of greedy so far in really one year and say, this is the guy. And I I don't, you know, that's not how these coaches are really going to look at it either. These two are going to step out in training camp and they're going to figure it out that way. Troy Hill will be in the mix. I mean, this is going to be interesting to, to say the least how Joe Wood starts piecing the secondary together. And it might not be the same combination the first four games. They're going to, they're going to have to figure this out. But they've got a good problem now. This feels like we were talking about sort of upside versus safe thing. I do think this just feels like smart. I don't want to say safe because that's almost like a negative thing in the draft. Like, oh, you made the safe pick. It's the smart pick. Like as, as you were describing him, Ellis, like this guy is, this guy is at least going to be solid and he very likely may be better than that, but there's no red flags here. There's no injury stuff. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of durability, but I don't know that durability and like what greedy is dealing with is the same thing. And I do think that to some degree, I think because in the greedy draft, they didn't have a first round pick because they traded it for Odell. I think we have kind of, viewed greedy Williams in a certain way. He was a 37th pick, right? I mean, he fell because I think of some injury questions. That's why Scott, I'm saying like, I know, I guess they aren't going to hand it to a rookie, but, but it felt like when greedy got here, I guess they didn't hand it to him, but we sure thought like, okay, they drafted greedy. He's probably going to come in and start, even though Terrence Mitchell was here. Right. And he was a 37th pick. I just feel like Greg Newsom already has fewer questions than greedy Williams. And they'll let those guys go out there and battle every day in camp. And we know that, but if you, if you had to ask me right now, 
Who do I think will be the other starting outside corner opposite Denzel Ward in week one? I think at the moment I would put my money on Greg Newsom. Well, he's going to get every opportunity to do that. It's not like he's going to be, you know, sixth or seventh in the rep line. He's going to, I mean, he's a first round pick. They're going to give him every opportunity to succeed. And, you know, we, he's kind of in the same boat that Greedy is because Greedy has not played in this defense yet either, other than, you know, very early in, in camp. So, yeah, it, it's, Ellis is right. This could be a, the, the right guard battle we never got to see. And it's, again, it's a good, problem to have and um it's it's the most late a cornerback is probably the more likely position and we were talking about wide receiver and other spots that you could get a guy who's going to perform like a starter like from 2015 to 2019 pff kept track of how many first round picks played half their team snaps and earned a 70 grade or above which is kind of the threshold for starter for cornerbacks it was almost 37%. And that is second best out of any position right behind offensive tackle. And you know that if you're drafting an offensive tackle in the first round, he's probably going to be a starter. So corners get opportunities and they seem to work out at least more than most positions do in the first round. So yeah, it was a good pick for the Browns. I think that's, you know, we've just spent what, two, two, three hours saying that the cornerback would be a great pick and then they go out and do it. So, okay, now we have to talk about this. And Tim Bielek has joined us. And Tim, I want to get your view on the pick, but it's no longer the view on just the Greg Newsom pick because the Baltimore Ravens took Rashad Bateman right after the Browns did not. And we know how if Rashad Bateman is an all pro, we will remember this night because the Ravens need him, I think, more than the Browns need him. But man, he might have been the guy that just fell right to you and the Browns decided not to take him. So I'm not criticizing it, but man, it drew us. We all of a sudden, we got the stark contrast right here. Tim Bielek, on your board, who did you have higher, Greg Newsom or Rashad Bateman? When I look at the board, I had... Um... Rashad Bateman at 19 and Greg Newsom at 23. So Bateman four spots higher than Newsom. So as this pick came down for the Browns and it came down to Greg Newsom, we were talking about Greg Newsom as a realistic option, Rashad Bateman as a realistic option, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa as a realistic option. What would you have done with who was available? What would you have done at 26? I admit I probably would have still gone Newsom. I still think uh, corner is still the biggest need they had available and really the only one that you could have plugged the guy in from day one as a starter. And I said, I never thought, I didn't think Newsom would be there at 26 for them. So, I mean, it kind of falls in line with what to me has become the theme of the draft and guys falling into teams laps. I mean, Mac Jones fell in the Pats lap. Najee Harris fell to the Steelers. Greg Newsom fell to the Browns. And like you said, Rashad Bateman fell to Baltimore. I felt like Baltimore was going to just take, one of the bigger receivers that was available, the Browns didn't take Rashad Bateman. I felt like if Bateman was off, they were going to take Terrace Marshall and it would have been, we'd probably be having a similar conversation. All right. So Tim, I want to get more from you on how you thought the draft has progressed, but I want Ellis to draw this contrast. Ellis, what does it do to the Newsome pick that the Ravens went with Bateman right afterward? Does it give you any second thoughts? I mean, Greg Newsom's going to have every opportunity to cover Rashad Bateman now, you know, if you want to do that fantasy football Madden type matchup stuff. Uh, look, it, it's 
kind of a tough little unfair situation to put Greg Newsom in. Offensive players just have an opportunity to prove themselves sooner, quicker, and in more flashy ways than, you know, offensive rookies. But man, Bateman is a guy with that type of Pro Bowl upside where if Greg Newsom hits a ceiling of, you know, starting corner, but a guy who doesn't land a second contract on this team while Bateman makes a Pro Bowl or two in his first five years. Look, these are these are what ifs, but that's that's the point of the exercise, right? And I just got done when, with the Newsom pick. I got done saying where that I see a lot of really good stuff, but I don't see a, you know a Pro Bowl player in the first four years in Greg Newsom, and I definitely don't see it as likely as I see it for Rashad Bateman. So you're right. These two picks are forever tied. I, I worry a little bit, but in a vacuum, this need did work out really well for the Browns picking Greg Newsom, but we're never going to look at it that way because the very next pick was Rashad Bateman. But Ellis, what we were talking about, I think we got the answer to where with the Browns, where they are in the draft, where they are as a franchise. Do you take a little more risk? Do you make a little more yeah. smart, obvious pick? I think they made the smart pick. They didn't go for the upside. They took the guy who's really solid at the position they need. They didn't go for the guy where they're pretty stacked in that room, but oh man, that guy might be a thing, right? I think we got our answer. Yeah, I think hundred percent we did. And the only way that we could confirm it hundred percent would be is if Newsom wasn't there and they went Samuel to really test that, that fifth corner theory. But, but I agree. They didn't see, the upside swing in adding to the strength and making it that extra strength, as I said, in adding a receiver and instead get a guy who, again, doesn't need to do a thing early in this season, assuming some health. And it's definitely a guy who isn't going to make the offense or winning football games all that more achievable at the end of games, unless he's on the field playing outside corner at number two. And that's just, that's what we don't know that yet, where you could really plug in Rashad Bateman or even Elijah Moore as that number three receiver when the Browns need a touchdown and you know, they're, they're in shotgun going spread. All right, Tim, you said that you would have taken Newsom with, with where the Browns were. So you agreed with the pick when we did our mock draft, I think, and and you could tell me if this is wrong, there seemed to be a top four group of cornerbacks with J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertain, um, uh, Caleb Farley, and Greg Newsom. And the the question was, would one of those top four get to the Browns? In our mock draft, none of those four did. Were you surprised at all the way the draft fell? And given what you thought would happen, what was the key maybe to Greg Newsom getting to the Browns at 26. Where were the teams that you maybe thought would take corner that didn't, that made this possible? I'm looking right at the Arizona Cardinals with number 16, Zayvon Collins, which to me was kind of the first of the, really the first of what I consider the puzzling picks of this draft. The first 15 all made a lot of sense in a lot of different ways, but then, you know, Collins goes 16. That takes a team that needs corner off the board. Really the only other team that needed a corner that was in that position was the Titans at 22. The Jets had, you argue could have taken a corner, but they jumped up, got Elijah Vera Tucker. I liked the pick. I didn't like the, the picks they gave up to make that pick. But then when the Titans took Caleb Farley, you kind of figured that one of those, that Newsom was going to be available because I didn't think there was going to be a team that was going to move up for Greg Newsom. So the fact that he fell there 
it's kind of a benefit to the Browns. And I understand the uh, paranoia about Rashad Bateman. I've from a Browns perspective. I get it because remember 15 years ago, the Browns took Cameron Wembley. One pick later, Haloni Nada. I'm sure. I'm sure every Browns fan is hoping that this isn't deja vu in that case. It is hard when the Ravens are right behind the Browns, right? It's oh like, yeah. Because it's like get out, get off of me, like get away from me, like just let let the Browns be, man. Like don't don't bug them. Tim, I want to get you. And by the way, Dan's guy, Peyton Turner, the defensive end that we talked about that Dan liked as a second round option to the Browns, just went 28 to the New Orleans Saints in the first round. Again, there had been chatter. You could find uh, draft experts talking on Thursday that they were saying Peyton Turner was all of a sudden a guy that people thought could maybe go in the first round. The Packers picking here at 29. Curious if this is Elijah Moore, Ellis, which given what's going on with Aaron Rodgers, it feels like they have to get him a weapon. And I think every mock draft in the world in the last week has had Elijah Moore to the Packers at 29. Yeah, I don't know if you guys talked at all about the Aaron Rodgers stuff at the top or with Mary Kay or anything, but um, talk about still in the draft early. This it feels like it has to be a weapon. I mean, if Rodgers, whether he's there or not, it's like you, you just have to pick the offensive player to avoid whatever Green Bay would wake up to in the morning. Uh, so even before the Rodgers news drop, I would agree this is Elijah Moore. Now, now it, it just has to be. Tim, I want to ask you about Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, who was a guy that we were talking about as he was coming down the pipeline. You know, we were talking a lot about Newsom Farley, Bateman, and Owusu-Koromoa as four guys the Browns should have interest in, and they all of them were there for a while. As we speak here, he's still on the board you liked him. Would you have considered him instead of Newsom for the Browns at 26? Should the Browns have at least pondered that? Yeah, I, I agree. Maybe less so after signing John Johnson. It depends how they feel about Grant Delpa coming back from the Achilles. Because I look at Owusu Kormo, I don't see him as your traditional linebacker. I don't see him, you know, as the same type of player as Micah Parsons, as Jamin Davis, as Zayvon Collins. I see him as that, that smaller Isaiah Simmons type who does all those things. You can move all around the defense, can cover in the slot, can play downhill, can be a rover, kind of that that old star position that Ohio State used to have, the bullet, as they call it now, of course. So there's uh, there's obviously a lot that Owusu Kormo can bring. Versatility is his strength, which we know Andrew Barry loves to have that versatility. So it made sense. If Newsom was gone, that would have been that would have been one of the guys I was – I would have looked at as the pick, but I think with Newsom there, with that being really the only major need on the board, Andrew seems like Andrew Barry just kept things very simple. So we're getting toward the end of the first round here. The Packers on the clock at 29. So Tim, we want to get your, make sure we get your thoughts on the, the overall draft so far. You and I both had the Chicago Bears trading up to get Justin Fields. I had them trading up to six. I think you were closer and you might've even been very close on what they gave up to do it. They ended up giving up a first and next year's first and a little bit more to move from 20 to 11. What did you think of that move and how close do you were, how close were you to nailing it? I had them going to number eight and this is the package I had them sending to Carolina, which obviously didn't happen. The 20th pick, the 52nd pick, a first and a third and 22. So they gave up less to move up nine spots, which makes a lot of sense. And I mean, that makes sense. I mean, Chicago needed a quarterback. We talked about it on the podcast Thursday a little bit, how desperate Chicago was for quarterback. I felt Fields was the second best quarterback in this draft. I was kind of surprised with the Zach Wilson stuff. They didn't fall behind Trey Lance and Mac Jones. That's a conversation for another day. But 
that really was a smart move by the Bears. It's one that they really had to make, and they ended up getting a, a player who's now got a pretty good-sized chip on his shoulder. Another guy who fell, let's talk about Mac Jones to the Patriots at 15, him falling in their lap. You mentioned a couple guys seemed to fall in the laps of teams that had needs and got the exact player they wanted. And then we, I want to run through the AFC North with you before we let you get out of here. But Mac Jones to the Patriots at 15, once Mac Jones didn't go three, I think a lot of people would have said, well, where do you think he's going to go? And I think a lot of people would have said to the Patriots at 15, and that's exactly where he went. What did you think of how that played out? It's kind of fitting almost that uh, everybody talked about the Patriots trading up for a quarterback. I didn't think they were going to trade up to get one. I kind of thought they were going to be the more patient team, that they weren't going to be the ones that trade up to get the first. And how fitting it is that, you know, again, like you said, like I talked about earlier, Mac Jones falling in the lap of the Patriots. And he's in a position where he doesn't necessarily have to start day one. You got Cam Newton. And I mean, there's been a lot of Tom Brady comparisons with Mac Jones. I don't, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but I, I had him mock third in my mock to the 49ers last night. So, I mean, him falling to 15, I gave, I gave that, I got my draft grades coming out after this. I gave the Patriots an A plus for that pick because that's outstanding value. But they didn't do anything. It's like they got an A plus. They didn't even study. They just showed up in the classroom and got an A plus like Belichick. Of course, it's like, Oh, what are you going to do? It's like, I don't know. We'll see if uh, our future franchise quarterback just falls to 15. And then he fell to 15. I'm, I feel good about this. The Packers did not take a receiver. They took the cornerback that in my, how the Browns could win the draft. I had the Browns taking Eric Stokes, six, one runs a sub four, three Georgia cornerback. I liked him. He's more upside. I think much less certain than Greg Newsom. I think a lot of people had him in the second round. I thought if the other corners, if the top four corners were off the board, I thought Stokes made sense, positional value traits for the Browns at 26 and the Packers made that determination. They took him ahead of Asante Samuel. He's the fifth corner off the board, but man, Aaron Rodgers, man, it's like they refused to help him on offense, but I feel moderately validated because what do I know? What did you think of Eric Stokes? He just felt very traitsy to me. But while he was also productive at the best conference in college football, I didn't know if you had a view on Stokes. Um, I looked at the two Georgia corners, Stokes and Tyson Campbell. I thought Stokes was better than Campbell, and I would have taken it before Campbell because I just look at Stokes, and he's a guy that I thought had better ball skills than Tyson Campbell. Tyson Campbell, you're looking at the raw tools he has. He's the when you draw up the modern corner, your Richard Sherman type frame corner, tall, incredibly long, that's Tyson Campbell. He doesn't have the ball skills that Eric Stokes has. And I think that's under, to me, that's an underrated thing. If you're a corner, you got to know how to play the football. Eric, Greg Newsom can play the football. Eric Stokes can play the football. So it makes sense why both those guys are first round picks. Okay, let's talk about the NFC North a little bit. And we had talked about this specifically on our mock draft the other day. Najee Harris going to Pittsburgh. You had theorized that it would have been actually more of a problem for him to go to Buffalo because Buffalo feels like more of a direct threat for the Browns on a Super Bowl path. But now Najee Harris is a guy, the Browns are going to see him at least 10 times in his life, at least the full five years of his rookie deal twice a year, and then maybe more beyond that. How much do you think he fixes Pittsburgh's ground game and the way it unfolded? Did you like that pick for the Steelers at 24? 
I like it more when it happened than when I did like a few hours ago, you know, considering some of the offensive linemen hadn't gone, like Tevin Jenkins hadn't gone, Samuel Cosme hadn't gone, Liam Eikenberg hadn't gone, Jalen Mayfield hadn't gone. There's going to be linemen that are there for the Steelers in the second round, whether they want to go for one of those outside guys, whether they want to go for a guard like White Davis in the second round. So that makes sense. And in Najee Harris, they get that number one running back that they lost with Le'Veon Bell. And Harris looks like a smaller Derrick Henry, not as much of a physical monster as Derrick Henry, but he runs with that same nature and he caught the ball at the backfield. And we saw in the playoff just how special he is. No, it, it, it feels like, you know, Tim, you know this. I mean, it's like we've entered this world where running backs in the first round, you don't know, oh, is it worth it or not? He just feels like a fit there. And right, there's two ways to improve your run game. You can either improve the line or you can improve the back. And I just think they needed, they need to do both. But this was so obvious staring them in the face. I would imagine they'll try to add some linemen in the later rounds, but it felt like the obvious pick for them. A lot of people had mocked him there. Before we get to the rest of the AFC North, let's talk about the other running back who went in the first round, DTN, Urban Meyer, collecting Clemson players in Jacksonville. I don't know what the history is there of like how often teammates, but these were the guys who were the absolute jet fuel to this little mini run of, of Clemson excellence. And Urban Meyer took both of them. What do you think of Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne staying teammates? Well, we knew Lawrence was the easy pick. We knew that way back in, let's say, 2017, when those recruiting rankings went out, that he was going to be the number one pick. Etienne was a little more surprising to me because they already had James Robinson, who I really liked as a rookie. I mean, he was a surprise UDFA, but I get it because, I mean, Urban Meyer is a guy that always wants the most talented guys. You win in the NF, you win with having just the most talented players usually. And I look at that offense now. Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback. You have Travis Etienne and James Robinson at running back. You have DJ Shark. You have LaVisca Chanel at receiver. That offense suddenly got a whole lot more scary. And, and they don't, I don't think they have a defense to compete in the AFC South yet, but they're, they're closer than people think, especially if Lawrence plays as good as Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert did this year. All right, let's, I want to get you on the Bengals pick. Dan Labe is back with us. We want to hear from Dan what the Browns had to say about their pick. But real quick, Tim, the Bengals decided to go skill instead of tackle with their pick, Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell. In the mock draft, you had them taking the tackle. Do you think they made a mistake? Or, like, do you get it? I think they'll try to get somebody like Liam Eikenberg early in the second and try to still do something on the offensive line. I thought pairing it this way made sense. Receiver one, offensive line two. But do you think they'll regret not taking Panay Sewell there? Possibly. I mean, I thought Sewell was the clear-cut number one. I did check in with one of my old friends who's a Bengals fan, asked him about the pick. He said he wanted Chase because Sewell has short arms, shorter arms than you would like for an offensive tackle. I, I decide, yeah, you got to get the guy who's going to protect Joe Burrow for 15 years. You know, you want a guy that's going to probably even outlast his career. And Sewell's a guy who's not even going to be 21 until this fall. He won the Allen Trophy at 19 years old, beat out the number seven pick in last year's draft, Derek Brown, to win the trophy that year. That tells you how good he is. So I thought he would have been a cornerstone guy, but I get Jamar Chase. I completely understand it. A.J. Green is, is gone. He was not going to be what he was. They just replaced him with a guy who already has instant chemistry with Joe Burrow. I love what T. Higgins did as a rookie last year. If they can protect Joe Burrow and just load up on that offensive line in day two, Cincinnati is going to be a lot closer to that top two than we realize in the AFC North. 
All right. Good news for the Browns. The Bills just made a bad pick. Greg Rousseau, the edge rusher, the other Miami edge rusher, no interest to the Bills at 30. I don't think he's going to be good. So that's good news. We have another Ravens pick coming up, but Dan Lobby is back. Dan, what can you report on how the Browns are feeling about this pick of Greg Newsom? It felt like they were feeling really good. Um, seems like a guy they were targeting pretty early on, a guy they were very interested in very early on. And Andrew Barry pointed out multiple times, he's 20 years old, turns 21 in May. He's 20 years old. He's played three years of major college football. And I think that was very important to them. They're going to be, you know, I asked him about how, what kind of role age plays in drafting guys. And he didn't really, he didn't really answer me, but it's something they're aware of, right? They're not going to take a guy who's 24 or 25 years old, even though I have a guy like that in my, how the Browns can win the draft, but they're probably not going to take a guy like that. 20 years old, played major college football, uh, laid back off the field, but flips the switch on. It sounds a little bit like Denzel Ward to me uh, when, when they described him like that, uh, even though he didn't have a bunch of interceptions, they pointed to his ball production, so they weren't concerned about that. And they pointed to uh, they pointed to the idea that he kind of knows roles across the secondary. So I, I think this is the guy that they, like I said, I think they targeted him very early on. I think they were happy he was there. They thought he would be there, uh, kind of based on their surveying around of, of people in their building. Uh, but but this this just feels like the right guy in the right spot for them right now. And, and now hearing them talk, it didn't feel like they were straining to justify like, yeah, this is the guy we wanted. It really feels like this is the guy, one of the guys they wanted. So that's interesting, Dan. Again, I mean, I've been telling you for a week, hey, you had Greg Newsom to the Browns 26. I don't think he's going to be be there. You're saying yeah. felt good about like they they weren't saying like, oh, we couldn't believe he was there at 26. It felt like they had a plan and the plan went exactly how they, as how they thought it would. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's how they made it sound. that They expected him to be there or close to there and, and they took him. So, uh, you know, what, whether that's factual or not, <laughs> we don't know right now, but it, it sure, it, again, it didn't sound like they were just sort of trying to make it, make it feel like that. It, it felt like they had a real shot to get this guy at, at 26. And I know, listen, I'm going to ask you questions that I know the answer is going to be like, well, they didn't, they didn't talk about that because of course they didn't. Did you get any, any feel on whether there was any chance they were going to move up, whether they considered moving down or did it just was the basic takeaway of like, this is the guy we wanted. He's a good player at a position of need. We thought he would be there. He was there. We took him end of story. I, I think it's that. I, I, I think that the fact that he was there, um, just, just kind of meant, and they were actually asked about Caleb Farley, if they had him, you know, as a possible first round grade. And they obviously did not answer that question, <laughs> but, uh, I, it was, it was good to ask. I, you know, I would have been curious if let's say he would have, he would have been gone if they would have moved down. I, I that would have been interesting, but I just, what we've learned so far from Andrew Barry and it happened again this year, last year, they were very patient and they let the guy that they wanted fall to them at number 10. And it felt like they did the same thing at 26 here. Now it's a lot harder to do at 26 than it is at 10, but it worked out for him. I wondered, I remember writing this back in January about like sort of that idea about how the off season might go. And I think at that time, I thought maybe if a guy fell to them, positional value, need talent at 26 on defense, it might be a linebacker, but then they got Anthony Walker and it's like, you really got a feel for what they thought of Jacob Phillips. And then it, the way everything evolved, 
it became pretty clear that corner, I mean, how much Dan, all we, all, all, all of us at Cleveland.com for the last, uh, some of us were on, on the Zaven train to varying degrees at varying points. But I think in the last week, we kind of all came around to corner. And it does feel like Jedrick Wills, that they, they feel like every other gap. And then you wouldn't say that they're actually, it's not exactly need that they're drafting because it's still positional value, right? They're not reaching for a defensive tackle or whatever. And it's like, what? But you can see like the little hole that they leave an opening that they can slide somebody in if it works out. Now, if, if, it, if Newsom was gone, maybe they would have done something else and they would have found corner help elsewhere. But I think in a lot of ways, it does feel like the Jedrick Wills pick a year ago. But as you said, it was a little harder to execute 16 spots later. But it, it, if we're learning, you often write things about this happened. What did it tell us right, about Andrew Barry, right. about how the Browns operate? Did you feel like the way this pick went down informed you more about how Andrew Barry operates? I think it did. And I think the Jedrick Wills pick was a big step in that process because like I am a firm believer in actions speak louder than words. So people tell you things in press conferences or, you know, maybe they'll tell you things that aren't in press conferences. Right. But actions always speak louder than words. And in the NFL and NFL draft night, it's a night when, you got to put your cards on the table. I would have loved to have seen what would have happened if Zayvon Collins would have been there at 26. That's, that's one that I just absolutely, I said it earlier, I wish we could have seen what they would have done at 26 if Collins would have been there. But yeah, I mean, my thinking throughout the process was just looking back at, looking at the holes on this team, looking at where they were intentional and aggressive, and they just never really sniffed around outside corner. And we've said it over and over again. You can't count on Greedy Williams. And I'm sure they're not sitting in that building. They can say all the nice things they want about Greedy Williams, but I'm sure they're sitting in that building saying, let's see, they might not be able to get Greedy Williams on the football field until July. So it, it just felt like the Jedrick Wills pick and how they approached that last year and the safety sit, the Delpit pick. It just informed us, like, if they leave an opening maybe just circle that position for the draft. And it's not that they're going to reach and go crazy and pick a guy that they shouldn't pick, but just circle that position because it probably tells you that they feel like they're going to be able to get that match of quality and need at wherever they're drafting. And they clearly, I guess every team does this, every smart team. Again, right. maybe we're not, we're not used to the Browns doing it because <laughs> they haven't been smart for a long time, but they know the positions that have depth right in a draft and that, when they were at 10 last year, if they like Jedrick Wills, but they probably said, well, if, if Jedrick Wills isn't there, it's not the end of the world. We like other guys. We can get our tackle at 10. They must have had, and Dan, if they had this plan, all right, if we thought there were at least four good corners and they really thought one of those four would be there, right, and then it just worked out, they, they kind of knew. I don't know that Andrew Barry had a baby today. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I bet you he wasn't, if they thought we want Greg Newsom, we're pretty sure he's going to be there. And if he's ever going to take him, this was a very laid back day for them because yeah. it is a plan. And it's not just a plan, Dan. It's a plan that they have scouted out that they believe the plan will work. Cause we could all have plans like, you know, who it's my plan. It's like, well, that's never going to happen. Nice plan. It's like <laughs> a plan that's grounded in reality. And then when it unfolds, it almost makes it, I guess, Dan, the point is you nailed this pick, right? We should all start nailing picks with Andrew Barry because 
it's smart and laid out and we better start sniffing it out the way you sniffed it out. Make sure again, we like to do this on orange and brown talk. <laughs> make sure you take enough of a victory lap here, man. Yes. You had Newsom like 10 days ago. So make sure you take that lap because you're getting to know how Andrew Barry operates. Well, and you know, going back to you with, with, with John Johnson, right. There, there was a moment where I thought to myself, I looked at the free agent list and I thought, Oh, John Johnson's interesting. And it felt like he fit. And it felt like if they're going to be aggressive, maybe they go get a guy like that. I just, well, I didn't think he, I couldn't imagine the Rams letting him go, but they, they did. And so I, I think you were kind of doing the same thing, right? Like you, we sort of know how this team operates or we're getting to know how this team operates. And look, it could have been some other corner that fell to them, or maybe they would have just run out of luck and the corners would have been gone. But again, just, just doing that math in my head, like, okay, they're at 26. They still need a corner. Greg Newsome could kind of be in that range. And so that's why I kind of pulled that name out of the hat. So Ellis is back with us. Good news for Browns fans. The Ravens just wasted a pick on Jason Owen. So, <laughs> so good luck, Baltimore. Good pick with, can I, with Rashad Bateman. Bad pick with Jason Oway. Can I make the Jason Oway in Baltimore case? And Ellis, I want to know what you think. So, Doug, when you talk about Oway, you talk about the wall that he ran into in Ohio State. And we've talked a little bit about this with the Ravens. Matthew Judon is a guy that left in free agency, went to New England. And one of the things about Judon, the questions about Judon was, is he actually a good edge rusher or did Baltimore scheme him into being a good edge rusher? And I feel like Baltimore is one of those teams that creates opportunities. Same with um, Bud Dupree. Is he, is he good if he's going to be your top edge rusher and not getting schemed into situations? So maybe that's going to end up being a good fit. Yeah, I only rushed back onto the Zoom call here to <laughs> tell Doug that if anyone's going to get some production out of Justin Oway, it's going to be the Baltimore Ravens because that is exactly how this pick lines up to the same rationale of, of Judon and just their ability to find edge rushers with the comp picks. And this is a first round pick. So I, I get the zero sacks. I get what you saw, Doug. And I, and I, I believe you're right. But if there's one organization I'm not betting against when it comes to finding and producing edge rushers, it's the Ravens. And again, we, I already, I already gave my two cents on, on the, the Bateman pick. I think Baltimore landed one known commodity and two high-end athletes in this class. So, Dan, we did not, I don't think, get this from you. And Joe Tryon ends the draft to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is whoever had the, I think Mary Kay had the 32nd pick in yeah. our mock draft. She nailed it. I think so, she yeah. got that pick right. So, uh, congratulations to Mary Kay. I don't know that we got you on this, Dan. The idea that we were talking about Rashad Bateman or Greg Newsom, and then Bateman went to the Ravens, to their rival, right after the Browns, adds at least a little zest to that pick but does it did it give you any second thoughts when it was like okay there's greg newsom versus rashad bateman in theory and then it's like man the ravens took him right after the browns didn't well it's it's greg newsom versus rashad bateman in theory and then it's going to be greg newsom versus rashad bateman in real life on on some sunday afternoon i i just kind of laughed i thought it was funny it was just like absolutely perfect that the ravens took him I mean, I made the case for taking the corner. Scott and I were both both said that before the pick. So, you know, I don't have any buyer's remorse there. Ellis, I didn't get to hear what you had to say, though. Yeah, really what I what I told Doug was that I completely understood 
the Newsom pick, but with Bateman being the following selection, you worry about the the Pro Bowl upside. The I, I think a great way to look at these rookies is are they going to earn a second contract? And what is that second contract going to look like? I'd be, it'd be interesting to pull executives and see like, all right, who's going to make more in their second contract, Bateman or Newsom? And then that probably answers your question. And I, I, I would lean Bateman if I would ask myself, if I was the 33rd GM, if you will. So that's in the house. Our mock draft got 25 of the 32 first rounders so I, I i think we did pretty well so we only um, had seven okay. guys that didn't get picked we had seven guys that didn't get picked the highest guy that we drafted that didn't get picked was jok jeremiah hey. wosu koromoa is on on the on the board still real quickly about koromora 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 see we i wish we just call him jok but it's, it's, it's actually probably a good thing the browns would be yeah. taken yeah seriously clearly i need help with that um i think this tells you what the league thought of him they see him as a safety and I understand all the hype about guys being able to play both spots, but when you just have safety build, you really can't play both spots because you're not going to be a two down linebacker and then a cover guy. You're just a cover guy that can roll down in the box. Sometimes that's going to probably be the universal surprise. I saw him go as high as like nine to Denver or something. But again, I think this is telling that of all the teams that needed or could have considered him for him to fall out all the way out of the first round. I think it looks like he's a safety and will be one in this league. So let's talk a little bit about what we think might happen next for the Browns before we get out of here. And to everybody who's been with us, I'm, for... I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to see if we can get Mary Kay to hop on here for okay. a few minutes. Well, if we can after, get Mary Kay, we'll wait for Mary Kay. Done talking here. Um, if we can get Newsom, that'd be great. Um, but thanks to everybody who's been part of the live stream. And if, and if you're listening to this on the podcast, thanks for listening. A couple receivers, Elijah Moore did not go. Rondale Moore from Purdue is out there. Terrace Marshall from LSU is out there. Diami Brown from North Carolina is out there. We talked about Bateman a lot. I think that extra third rounder still exists potentially to help you move up and get somebody. I don't know that they need to take their second rounder and both third rounders. Is anyone particularly interested in a receiver in round two and maybe jumping to get a guy that you really like? Or is there something else you're really thinking? And Dan, I think you were gone when it happened. Your guy got picked. Peyton Turner got picked in the first round. You were on him so much that the rest of the league followed you (laughs) and took him in the first round. But Ellis, like, should we be thinking receiver now? Or is this still going to be a defensive heavy draft in the rest of the picks for the Browns? I mean, if the Browns can find a way to land Elijah Moore and Greg Newsom, I mean, that that's quite the round one and two. I feel like they'd have to move up. But again, with the way JOK just slid, you just don't know. And I would not have picked Kadarius Tony to go ahead of Rashad Bateman. We are really in the spot where, you know, the discrepancy in picks could be double-digit slots, you know, 10, 11, 12 slots. I am going to be fast. That's the number one player I, I want to see where he falls tomorrow. Is it is he going to be a top five pick in day two is Elijah Moore? Or is all of a sudden he'll start falling for whatever reason and the Browns can somehow add him to the, the first round pick they already had and a guy I thought they I would have loved to see them take at 26 being available in the late 30s, maybe early 40s. And now we're talking trade-ups and that's what makes 
our weekend long, uh, far from over. Diami Brown is a guy that Tim has been on. I know that uh, he's, he's a guy yeah. that when I, when I would do the draft pods with him, he, he was somebody that, that he would point out. I think there's really intriguing receivers. This team is going to be able to get that they can wait on. I, I don't know unless they absolutely love Elijah Moore, right? He, he didn't go while I was gone unless they absolutely like love that guy. You know, I, I think they can wait. I, I think they can wait for somebody to get a little bit closer to them. And then if, and then if they want to maybe make that move up, do it. But I don't know if they need to get aggressive and move into like the high thirties. I think there's guys there that will be able to help them in the receiving core that also don't put the pressure on like, Oh, you drafted this guy. So now you've got to figure out how to get him on the field. And Scott's going to be telling us how much they hate Richard Higgins. Again. Well, well let, let me throw this at you guys. We don't think they're going to make all these picks, right? Like, no. We don't think right, right, right. So are we just talking, you know, they're going to trade a fifth, for like a fourth next year? Like, is it going to be these little moves that we don't really care about? Or is this, t- is tomorrow early tomorrow the time you, you, you move up for somebody? Cause you have the ammo. Well, actually, you know what? Let me, let me just say, I don't expect them to make nine picks and maybe they do use some of them to move up or maybe they do punt on a couple of them to next year. But I also think if we're talking about like that seventh round pick, that that's kind of a, that guy might not even make the team, you know, yeah, but, but that's, I think that's the ones right. that matter are through like, once we get yeah. past 91, then it's kind of like, uh, okay. Well, Top we'll 100. see what happens. With these that's guys. what so I want. Maybe yeah. They that... can pick nine guys, but that they have an extra third and an extra fourth. Right. So they that, have those extra picks in that spot in those extra top 110 where it matters. Yep. You know, I think they could trade, you know, like I think I had a trade down, like I think the Cardinals don't have a third or fourth round pick in this draft. So maybe there's a team that wants to get up and get a guy in a range, but they don't have a pick and the Browns trade a third this year for, you know, next year's third or whatever. But I do think sometimes that's the best way. Cause you know what, you know how many bad third round picks there are in this league all the time. I think sometimes the best way when you gather an extra third rounder or an extra fourth rounder is ammo. Yeah. All of a sudden, all of a sudden you turn pick 59 into pick 42 and you get a guy that never would have gotten to you that you think can really help your team. And that is an excellent use of that extra third. So like, I'm really interested in that. Theoretically, let's run down a couple names while we hope to have Mary Kay on here. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking, I I think she's going to be able to jump on here, but yeah. Okay, she can tell us what she thinks of this Newsom pick. These are Tim's best available players. So I'll run through a group of guys, and then you talk about maybe who you're especially interested in. And again, this would, you know, we're talking about the top 10 guys available. Well, the Browns are picking at 59. They're going to have to do something to come get a guy like that. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, he's Tim's best available. Then Aziz Ojolari, that edge rusher from Georgia. Trevon Morig, the safety from TCU. Christian Barmore from Alabama. Tevin Jenkins, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma State. Terrace Marshall, the receiver from LSU. Russo is actually gone. Samuel Cosme, the offensive tackle from Texas. No interest there. Always gone. Jalen Mayfield, offensive tackle. Asante Samuel, corner. Not going to do that, probably. Rondale Moore, the receiver from Purdue. Javante Williams, the running back from North Carolina. Don't think they'll do that. Landon Dickerson, the center from Alabama. Don't think they'll do that. Nick Bolton, the Missouri linebacker. Diami Brown, receiver, North Carolina. Joseph Ossay, edge rusher from Texas. And now we're getting into some guys. I don't know who these people are. So 
Is there anybody like who, 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 is there an interesting position? Like, are you guys, if I didn't want an edge in the first, I don't, maybe I'd take an edge in the second receiver, the right safety. What is there? If, if not a name, what is an, an area of need? What's a position Ellis that you're especially intrigued by for the Browns on day two? I, I, I am, I got to stick with receiver. I just, I understand the, the, holes in the on the defense and the the question marks at linebacker and they've already addressed corner and how you cannot have enough defensive linemen but it comes a point where we have to remember what happened in Kansas City and I get that they're getting Odell Beckham Jr. back but they just did not have guys that could separate from the slot outside off the line scrimmage it did not matter and even if they did get off the line they didn't expect them to get 10 to 12 yards separation at the at the top of any of the routes in the intermediate part of the field so this team needs to add speed and it needs to add someone who also gives them a dynamic pre-snap threatening teams laterally and you can find those guys later than where i think elijah moore is going to go but i think he's the one guy who belongs a tier higher than where he may go right now. So I'm going to keep pounding the drum and, and, and sticking with Elijah Moore. Ellis, can I do the same thing and throw some wide receiver names at you? Sure. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go past, um, I'm going to go past some of these guys, uh, the top guys, uh, Josh Palmer, Tennessee. Uh, Jalen Darden is a guy that I've looked into a little bit real small, mm-hmm. but can really do some things with the football in his hands. Uh, let's see who else we have here. So I, uh, Simi Fahoko. Yep. Are, are any of these names, do you like any of these names? I, I do. I, I wonder where, um, a, a guy like Nico Collins, Tyler yeah, Wallace, Nico Collins is on here. Yeah. Those are two guys that are also in this range that I've, I liked as, as I, I watched uh tape on them more. The, the thing is when you start getting, I'd say outside the top like six or seven in receiver, you start seeing a lot of the same traits and the production then becomes scheme-based and you start wondering about the levels of comp. Basically what I'm trying to say is the evaluation process gets just in terms of how certain I am that they could help the Browns offense in week one of 2021, I, I grow uncertain. There's really only like two or three more guys on this list right now that I think could help the Browns push for the Super Bowl, like Doug talks about. And I think they're going to go quicker than when the Browns do pick in day two. So they, they need to move up if they want a guy that helps them immediately. If it's for the future, then I, I do like most of those names and specifically the two Nico and Tylen that I, that I brought up after your list. Should they be thinking about interior offensive line at all long-term? I'm, I'm unsure about whether Wyatt Teller is going to be too pricey after 2021 when it's time to keep him here. I don't know. Like if you believe Nick Harris is the answer is the next guy up if you need someone behind those three interior guys right now, is that good enough? Or if you invested a second or third round pick in a interior offensive lineman now in anticipation of something, would that be something potentially worthwhile you think? So I like that theory, Doug, because then it could, that pick could also double as a swing tackle. 
we don't really know what's going to happen with Chris Hubbard yet. And that would be a good way to both provide long-term security on the interior and improve that swing tackle spot, which we saw how important it was a year ago. It's going to be important every year. These, these, these linemen get injured and especially having a guy that can play both. It, it's probably a top, I don't know, 10 priority that aside from, you know, the, the stars you have on the field, when you need to address, you know, spots like a backup quarterback, that swing tackle has a lot of sway and improving that position is something and we haven't really talked about. I, I like it. And I don't want to forget about Drew Forbes who opted out last year, but I think people still think right could be a, a part of the future. People thought that was a good pick when John Dorsey made that. So I don't know. I mean, it's, but again, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about here. Yeah. It's like, Oh, do they need a seventh offensive lineman? Is that what they should do in the third round? That's what good teams do. And that's where the Browns are right now. And look who's back. It's our number one draft pick. She let, she let us off way back when we started at like well, three, three hours and 20 minutes ago. And now she's going to bring us home here on our, on our show. I'm dropping my phone and all sorts of stuff here. Mary Kay. I mean, what, what did you think of the pick? Let's start with the basics. Well, you know what, first of all, uh, let me just give you my first impressions of Greg Newsom on the, uh, on the zoom we just had with him. Boy, what a dynamic personality he is. That was a very, very fun zoom. And I think he sort of fits with uh, the other guys they're bringing onto this team. They're, they're upbeat. They love football. They're, they're leaders. They're flamboyant. And uh, they're adding some really cool guys to this team. And I, I think that uh, is going to serve them well as they go along. Now, as we talked about when I was on in the very beginning, um, we just weren't sure that uh, Greg Newsom and a Caleb Farley were going to be falling to the Browns. But as the draft went along, you could see that it was offense, offense, offense. And it just, uh, it was just, coming their way these Greg Newsom was just falling to them which was pretty darn incredible and and I know that this is a guy they they really liked a lot uh you know they had a number of uh they had a number of defensive guys on their radar some of them went off the board you know I know they liked Zayvon Collins I know they love they liked Caleb Farley what I don't know is would they have you know, taken Caleb had he been available? That that would have been the very interesting thing to think about there. We don't know that. Uh, they liked, uh, you know, they liked a number of other guys. Um, Quiddy Pay, I think, is somebody that that they would have been interested in. But I think this went exactly how they they hoped it would go. I mean, I, I think they wanted to come away with one of the top cornerbacks in this draft. They got their guy. And uh, I don't think they can be any happier than they are right now. Eric K, where do you think, uh, what do you think this battle will be like between Greg Newsom and Greedy Williams at that other outside corner spot opposite Denzel? Is that, is that what we should assume this is going to be before, in, in camp before the season? Uh, I, I would think so. But really, uh, you know, realistically, when you draft a cornerback in the first round, particularly a cornerback who is very, very confident and fancies himself to be the best cornerback in this draft, uh, which I think we might've talked about that before. I mean, I know they all do. I mean, you kind of have to, but um, you know, when you take a cornerback in the first round, they uh, you know, they're going to (laughs) start. That's just how it goes. Unless something doesn't go right. Or, you know, 
I just think he's, he's probably going to end up starting for a couple of reasons. First of all, he's their draft pick. Greedy Williams was not their draft pick. Uh, now it's going to, it's going to bring out the best in them and, and they will have competition, but I think we've all been covering football long enough to, to see the writing on the wall uh, when, when things like this happen. And Greedy was also going to be expected to take a big step up in his second year. Now, having said that, you need three really good outside cornerbacks. I mean, you just do. Not only uh, because of the way your alignment is going, going to go, but because of injuries. Denzel misses three games a year or four games. We don't know about Greedy's health. He's coming along really well. So you're going to need all these guys. And, you know, Greedy, one of the coolest things I thought he did right away was welcome Greg Newsom to the land. I thought that was awesome. Good for Greedy. Uh, he's a really, really good guy. And, uh, you know, and I, I hope he can, can give Greg Newsom a real unbelievable run for his money. Uh, and, and if he does, then, then they'll all be the better for it. But I think we all know how things work out with first round picks. Mary Kay, what do you think when Rashad Bateman goes to the Ravens one pick later? Well, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you, <laughs> I, uh, I thought the same, you know, early on in the draft when the Bengals got Jamar chase, I was like, Oh, Browns better get that cornerback. You know, we talked about that on the early uh, part of the pod, but, um, and then the same thing with Bateman, you know, just another good, big, solid receiver that, that these guys are going to have to contend with. And I even asked Andrew, Andrew Barry about that. Did, you know, did it confirm for you that you needed to do this? But I think we all knew heading in that they had to get another good, really good outside cornerback. Was it going to be in the first round? We weren't sure about that but we knew they really had to get one somehow. It was the only thing that we could consider sort of a hole on this defense, right? I mean, there are, there are spots where you could upgrade, but that was an area where it was like, mm, something's got to happen here. And it did. It makes so much sense. And he's going to come in handy against Joe, Joe and Jamar, Lamar and Rashad, uh, this is going to work out pretty well for the Browns. Okay. I think we've, uh, I think we've hit the wall here, right? <laughs> Mary Kay, you haven't been on as long as us. So if, I don't know if you have a final thought or not, but uh, we'll, we'll, I, w- I want to let you say, if, if you have anything you need to say, I want you to say it before we sign off here. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, you know, as they were getting towards the pick, I was, I was starting to think, are they, are they going to take Elijah Moore? I mean, did that go through anybody's mind? <laughs> yes. We, there was some discussion about it. Yeah. So, you know, that was, that was the only other thing, but I guessed right. Because I just, I started quickly just typing a few Greg Newsom graphs to have that zero story up that we always have to do. And I, fortunately I, I made the right pick there and got, you know, something up right away. Like, Unfortunately, we have to do within seconds, but, um, but anyway, so yeah, that was the only other thing, thought that I had was, hmm, are they going to go with uh, their next little Odell Beckham Jr. guy? <laughs> so no, good night. Good night for Andrew. He, need, he needs to get some sleep. Yes, he don't, does. Don't, we all do, all. although we're all, <laughs> we're all just getting started here. Yeah. Ellis, but, we didn't, but we didn't have a baby. He That's had true. a baby. That's why he needs He's, to sleep. What, when, what time was his baby born? Eight, eight something. 
eight, yeah, 12 hours before the draft. Started. But then when you have a baby at eight o'clock in the morning, I mean, it's not like you're asleep at six 30 and you wake up and have a baby. No. Like he's probably 24 hours. Yes. No sleep now. Right. Right. Absolutely. 100%. Yes. Yes. Life gets real, man. Yeah. Alice, who'd you have at 59 and you're how the Browns win the draft. Oh, who did I have them at 59? It had my guys been, gone. Yeah. It had to have been, I think, you know what? It was Elijah Moore. It was, and it was before I really realized he was going to maybe be a first round pick, which he isn't now. So again, it's, it's the, the variance of these guys. I, I, I don't know where he's going to go. If he's there at 59, then I'll have some Dan lobby prediction skills and we'll, we'll go two for two here, Dan. Uh, all right. Oh yeah, uh, that's right, Dan. You get to take the victory lap. You got your guy. No exciting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, appreciate everybody out there that's still hanging with us on YouTube. We're going to try and do this again tomorrow. Uh, we'll get those details out there. And of course, if you're listening on the pod, this is a long pod, but I hope you liked it. Trying something to kind of give you that live reaction to everything that happened here tonight uh, during round one of the draft. So we got a full weekend ahead of us. We'll let everybody go. Thanks for listening, folks. 